It's the Things We're Looking Up edition of the program today where we'll talk about the past week in wrestling and all of the various trials and tribulations that we're going to have to go through without our favorite competitors. Joining me here, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the man who's always looking up. That's why he's got bird shit in his eye. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha, Jim. <laughs> you got me thrown off now. Aloha, Jim. <laughs> a pleasure to be here once again. Uh, uh, <laughs> we couldn't even get... <laughs> it's one of those mornings. We couldn't even get through your goddamn hello, aloha. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> hello, aloha. Hello, aloha. King Kamehameha, all these Hawaiian phrases and Samoan dialects. Uh, Hello again, everybody. Oh, it's one of those days. You know what the best part of this program is? In a few hours, it's all going to be over with, regardless of what happens. I've got... We we did the drive-through, your program... On on Monday this past week, as as normal, correct? Was that what day it was? Indeed, that's what they were recording. Indeed, indeed, and then we've we've we're now recording. It's Saturday morning. We're a little slappy. We've had a long week watching all these programs. There's been all kinds of chaos going on in the world of wrestling. We're going to talk about most of that. Um. And as a re- and also I've been uh, busy and hectic with a, a variety of things we'll talk about, and so I have I got all kinds of notes and papers and emails and things jotted down, and I got my notepad on the TV shows, and we got no order to this today. There's no order whatsoever, so we're just gonna grab things off the top of the pile and talk about them. Um, apparently. From Brian, from a television commercial that I have just recently seen, I may potentially know now that I have a bunion. So I've always heard about bunions. People got bunions, bunions on your foot. I thought it was like a corn or a callus. Yeah, what's but the difference? What's the distinction between the three of them? Well, the, according to this television commercial that I viewed here recently, the bunion is I got a thing about, like, if you cut a ping-pong ball in half and stuck it on the side of my foot right down below the top of my big toe, that's what it would look like. It's a big bony protuberance. And apparently these bunions, according to this television commercial that I'm being treated to now several times a day, they just get worse and worse. And surgery can be iffy if you do it the old way. But this commercial is promoting the new way to do it, which just flattens that bad boy right out and just everybody's smiling in this commercial after they have this procedure. I'm not going to have this procedure. At least now I just know what to call my foot lump. I've been just calling it my foot lump, but now I know the proper term for it, a bunion. 
it looks like maybe a face might pop out and start speaking to me when I look at it every once in a while. That's certainly not a callus. That's not a callus. No. No. Or a corn. It's not a corn. Corn's on the bottom. My mother used to have corns, Mama Cornette. She used to take a razor blade, not even a trimmed down, taped up one like we'd use in the, just a razor blade. And just and just go to town and shave the bottom of that bunion off. It looked dangerous to me what she was doing, but well, not bunion. She got a lot of, huh? You said bunion. Not the bunion, the corn. The corn is what I'm trying to say. She used to razor blade the corn off. She learned that when she was a kid in Eastern Kentucky. But we're talking bunions now. <laughs> Don't laugh at me for talking bunions. You couldn't pronounce aloha in your Hawaiian Brian. That's right. So anyway, thank you for being so concerned about my health. <laughs> Thought I'd get some sympathy, some concern. You got a buddy? Oh my God, you got a buddy? What are you going to do? Have you talked to an expert, a specialist? A, you didn't make it sound that bad like you were that worried. And B, you just said you saw this commercial with an expert, a specialist, and you're like, I'm not going. Well, it's because it I, it doesn't look like the procedure is is, it looks like the procedure is even more unpleasant than the condition i have right now it it doesn't it hurts every once in a while i've never spoken to the doctor about it because when i go to the doctor i'm usually asking him like the test that he just performed and what's my blood pressure and am i gonna die am i gonna fucking fall over in the sewer or in the gutter when i walk out of this sewer. building in the street and just have an attack and just die and wash away into the city sewer system and just be a goddamn <laughs> corpse floating in the ohio river says that's what's gonna happen to me doctor so I never think about, and by the way, this fucking big knot on my foot was hurting about three months ago, but now it's okay. I never think of that. Do you have any issues with sneakers or shoes? Yes, it wears a hole in them. I get a, I get a little hole there where the, cause it's protruding out from the rest of my foot and the shoe isn't made. I haven't found one with a, a bunion a snood or whatever that would, that would <laughs> a sling around the bunion that would have, it's, it's a, a, a thing that branches off the front of the foot that you keep your bunion in this, the shoe there. I haven't found yes. one with that. So, so it wears a hole in the side of my shoe after a while, but I only have one pair of shoes at a time. I wear them for about three or four years and then I get a new pair, whether they need it or not. So that's why the same bunion makes a hole in the same place. Got a bunion. All right. Um, should we talk about the charity uh, fundraising events? That's good to talk about. The charity fundraising events that we've been involved in. Uh, mentioned on the drive-thru this past week that this weekend, well, by the, by the time you and the minions, Sharknado, when he gets finished working on this thing, it may be over with, but this weekend, June 4th and 5th, is the Crusade for Children weekend here in Louisville. Uh, if you tune into WHAS television or... WHAS Radio, WHAS.com. You can pick it up on the fillings and people's teeth around the Kentuckiana area. Everybody's talking about or participating in the crusade. And so it's WHASCrusade.org. We mention it every year. And as I said this past week, since we have been doing another fundraiser, which I'm going to talk about in a second and update everybody on. Uh, we didn't get a chance because the time and the action figures and everything this year so far to do a crusade fundraiser. That's coming up next month. They accept money all year round. If you send them money in November, they'll take it, even if it's not telethon weekend. 
So we're going we're gonna to be doing something next month at jimcornett.com as a crusade fundraiser. But if you can remember them this weekend, the oldest and largest local fundraising event of its type in the United States. And also the fundraiser that we're involved in, Brian, you and I, uh, because you got snared into this, the Sin Shirts. Um, I'm a Sin guy. The first official Sin merchandise in... She gets mad now when I say the length of time because it makes her sound old. So I will just say in many, many years. I won't give an exact figure. Uh, but the first official Sin merchandise is on sale now at jimcornett.com. The I'm a Sin Guy t-shirts that have been thought of by Stacy and the various Knights of Sin on the internet in the Cult of Cornette group to raise money for NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, which is the... Wait a minute. Hold on. National Alliance. Where's my where's my paperwork here? I lost my papers. You have too many. I have too many. And there's more all the time. The National Alliance on Mental Illness. NAMI.org. And here's an update for you, Brian. You owe, you owe us, or you owe them, $1,600. Because we have sold... As of this point, uh, what was it from, when did they go on sale? May 20, around Memorial Day. In about 10 days, we've sold 80 shirts. That's $1,600 because they're 20 bucks piece. I'm matching that. You're matching that. There's $4,800. And Jeremy Bagley, it, he was going to donate per shirt sold, and then he just, every time he turns around, he kicks in some more money. He's just doing out. What are you saying? He's backing out? Are you saying he's backing out of his pledge? No, he's he's doing it more often. He didn't even wait to find out how many were sold. He just kicked in some here. Here's two hundred dollars. Here's three hundred. He's just kicking in shit all over the place. Because if you told me he backed out, I would you know call him up and say, "No, how do you do that?" Not not just uh, yeah. Well, you're too late now, pal. (laughs) You said it out in public. No, Bagley ain't backed out. He's gone head first into it even deeper. So and sometimes that'll get you in trouble. But uh, but anyway, so all, over $5,000 from this effort in the last 10 days or so to NAMI. And while I'm on jimcornett.com, let me mention that, oh, and you can still get these shirts. We've just actually, we have just reordered uh, already to satisfy the demand. So if it's a it might be a week between the time you order and the time it gets sent out, but uh, we are turning these things around as quickly as possible. And we thank everybody. And Stacy thanks everybody for their support on this. It's gone great. And also, I should mention real briefly, since I'm talking about JimCornette.com, that I just bestowed on the Featherbottom family about 250 various packages and envelopes and things and uh, of orders to give out to the not to give out, but to ship out to the cult of Cornette members, the customers at Cornette's Collectibles. And that means that by next weekend, by the end of this week, we're down to the last 150 or so packages. All the action figures that were ordered will be in the hands of the Feather Bottoms by next weekend and in the mail shortly thereafterwards to everybody. And thank everybody for your patience with that as well. And... Guess who else we've tried to send to the poorhouse this week and nearly succeeded? Scott Damore. That no-good Canadian son of a gun. 
he opened his chicken lips and said that he was going to match all the donations to Don West's GoFundMe uh, through yesterday, Friday evening. And by gum, he's he's a man of his word. I knew we could trust those Canadians. And apparently we cost him about 15 grand because from where the GoFundMe was at when he made that offer and, and we got the Cult of Cornet members involved and sent some money, it's uh, over the week it appreciated about $15,000. So if he matches that, so we've got 30 grand extra this week in Don West's GoFundMe. And for if you missed the program uh, last week, folks, um, Don Way, he had a bout with cancer and got an all clear last year. And then it was he announced that earlier this year that it came back. It's brain cancer. Um, he, you know, he's having uh, trouble communicating and, you know, hasn't obviously been in a great frame of mind lately. But Mike Tanay mentioned on Twitter that uh, when he told Don, that we were trying to do this specifically with the idea of sending Scott DeMore to the poorhouse, that it was the first time he'd heard him laugh in about a year because everybody wants to bankrupt DeMore. Anyway, but thank you, Scott, for being a good sport. And if you can still, the GoFundMe is still up there, GoFundMe.com. Even if DeMore's not matching, maybe we can get somebody else to do that. But um, GoFundMe.com, the Don West tag team against lymphoma i believe it's titled and you'll see a picture of him there but that's still up and we wish our best to don he's a great guy and hopefully he can um he can get through this latest setback but that's the charitable uh fundraising update brian can we close the show now on an up note everything else is going to get dreary from here are there any other up notes i'm trying to think about it now I guess well, not. I do have I do have some emails. <laughs> As I said, I guess not. Oh, come on now. The cult of Cornet members have some uplifting things to say sometimes. Here is an email actually from Chris from the Carolinas, uh, who was on a flight uh with his wife uh last week, it says, and this was at the end of May, so a couple weeks ago. He and his wife were flying from Charlotte to Cincinnati, and he writes, John Moxley was on our flight. And parenthetically, it's hard not to notice a guy in a black motorcycle jacket in 90-degree weather. So (laughs) apparently he's working the gimmick on the plane. Uh, Chris says, long story short, John and I ended up in the bathroom at the same time. He used the urinal and walked away. I guess washing his hands would ruin his outlaw mud show reputation. Oh, keep up the excellent work, Chris from the Carolinas. Thank you, Chris, for that tidbit of news that reporting in. So now we know that, well, maybe he's carrying the hand sanitizer around in one of the uh, pockets of his black leather jacket he wears in 90 degree weather. That's not a replacement for soap. Well, the, the hand sanitizer, that's supposed to eat everything off of you, isn't it? No, I don't think it's exactly going to eat everything off you. You know, I'm kind of disgusted that a fan would follow a wrestler into the bathroom to report on it, but on the other hand... Well, now, he didn't say, hey, on the other hand, I see where you, what you were going for there. Well, on the other hand, it's nice to know who's dirty and who's not. Well, he didn't say he followed him. It says, long story short, John and I ended up in the bathroom at the same time. 
nature calls in the airport. You got a limited amount of time. You got to run in there. It doesn't, you know, you can't just wait to pick the crowd you want to piss with. You got to go in there no matter who's standing there. At least that's my experience. Sometimes I ask some people to leave. And they look at me funny. But I tell them I got a bashful bladder. All right, here is another email. And there's no no name given here. But um, basically, the question was, he's heard the, the uh, stories that we've told of travel and planes and car trips and being broke down and on the side of the road, whatever the case talking about black beauty and and you know i'm trying to get to my milestone of three hundred thousand miles on that so i can get another vehicle and it'll be the last one ever because i'm not going to drive another three hundred thousand miles so he says jim how many miles do you estimate you have driven in your wrestling career and i thought that would be interesting for me to sit down on the toilet as I'm taking my morning Russo and just kind of jot down on a notepad, uh, I've, the various cars that I've had, the miles I've put on them, and, and kind of guesstimate, because you can't, there's no way to have any type of reasonable, accurate number, right? But now he's not talking about how many miles you put on the road. He's talking about how many miles you actually drove yourself. Well, yeah, that that was the way that the question was phrased, that I just read very eloquently, was how many miles have you driven in your wrestling career? Well, the place to start would be personal cars, right? Right. And I, I figured up, basically, that I have put over 1.2 million miles on personal cars that I have owned. Wow. That, that wow. actually... Well, when you think about over 40 years, I would have thought it would have been more. But when I sat down and wrote them down. Uh, but then think about this. There were rental cars. And not only in WCW were we renting cars, but also in the WWF. And whereas I actually rent, rented more cars in the WWF when I was in Stamford and or when I was coming up from Knoxville than I did probably even in WCW because those were all flights, right? So rental cars, I would have to think it would have been another couple hundred thousand easily, if not 250. So there's 1.5 million, right? Approximately. But then also during the time I was together with the Midnight Express, loosely we alternated. One day I'd drive, one day Bobby, one day Dennis, then back me or then Stan, blah, blah, blah. I was going to ask you about that. Did that start as early as Mid-South? Oh, yeah. Well, we none of it. We we definitely rode together everywhere in Mid-South because when we first got there, we didn't know where we were going. But how much driving did you do? Um, well, about a third of it. And then the thing was that with interviews in Shreveport, long story short, not to get into detail, but I would drive usually to TV by myself because I had to do interviews beforehand. The Midnight Express didn't have to be there. We've told that story. Um, and in some cases, even if we were in somebody else's car, for example, especially early on in those, the Louisiana and Texas trips where we might not get back home till six o'clock in the morning. If we were in somebody, let's say we were in Bobby's car, or Dennis's car, I would drive the trip back so that they could drink beer and I was naturally awake 
back in those days, you know, till the sun came up anyway, and would then would sleep until past noon the next day if I got the chance. So sometimes we would switch off at each other's cars because it was so long. But the point is, I've easily driven one and a half million miles in cars myself and then ridden at least another 250,000 with one of the Midnight Express or a few select other people. So you're getting close to 2 million miles in a car at the very least, which is why I don't do that a lot anymore. When was the last time going for us. When was the last time in the wrestling business you weren't sick of driving around everywhere? Um Hmm. Was the drive itself with the boys enjoyable through the end of WCW even when you guys were having oh, those problems? Oh yeah, well see, I was going later than that when I'm thinking um I didn't enjoy a lot of the drives in the WWF either if I was driving from our home base of Connecticut or flying somewhere and renting a car, whether it was me or whether I was in the group with, you know, Vince and JR and Bruce or whatever, not because I didn't enjoy the company, but most of the time it was either driving in the Northeast, which is hell on earth, as everybody who lives there can attest, or, you know, just that you, with the, with the boys, with the midnight, with, Tom Pritchard or Jimmy Del Rey, or I, we used to work, ride a lot with uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis. You're just having fun and talking, telling stories, knocking people, booking the world, doing whatever. With the rides with the WWEF at the time, if I was in the car with somebody, chances are it was working. Every once in a while, I'd get to ride with the boys, but usually it was the office crew. And I must admit, like Jack Lanza and George Steele, those guys were a little bit more fun to ride with than Vince in the upper echelon of the office because we didn't have to constantly talk about work. And we could talk about wrestling, but it would be fun wrestling talk rather than what we were actually going to do that day. But I would, to answer your question, uh, by the time when, when I came to OVW and, and moved back to Louisville, I pretty much stopped making road trips except for occasionally one every so often a reunion or whatever. And then when I started doing TNA and started driving to Florida, that's when I determined I didn't miss this and I'm not really happy about doing it now. And it's probably going to get old even quicker than it did before. And it did. And after TNA and ring of honor, you know, the last few years have, have been very, pleasant for me and i don't see any reason to break this string how many miles have you put on the car in the last five years well that's a trick question that i'd have to go back and look at what at my book i have all this written down i have all my mileages for the last 15 years on this vehicle but i don't know in the last five years but i it, it dropped drastically i think 2019 i was still in the car like 25 or thirty thousand miles and in 2020 it was more like 1400 miles so, wow. uh, and that's, that's what I'm, that's a drop. Hey, now, now going to the feather bottoms, I wasn't putting until we started this arrangement, I wasn't doing a hundred miles a month in my, in my vehicle. And now, cause where the feather bottoms live, I'm up over a hundred miles a month now, but just barely. So I'm liking that. But now 
I said I wasn't going to get rid of this expedition and get a brand new one until it got to 300,000 miles, and I'm only at 298.5. It'll be another year, year and a half, easily, before I can get a new car. And then that'll be the last one I ever buy. We have something to build up to now on the show for the next year and a half. There you go. Um, we can do the, the countdown clock, like to Cody, countdown to Corny's car. All right, here's another email. Maybe you'll like this one better. This is an update like on one. one of our previous topics. Ah, you're just grumpy today because you mis mispronounced. What'd you say? Alo? You know what? This is the first show we have done in as long as I can remember where I've had no coffee before the show. Because I woke up late. This is the latest I've woken up in a while. We went right to recording early. You I've got no coffee, coffee in the house. I do, but I'm not going to make it. Suzanne has time what? and energy to make it. I have things I have to do. I'm sitting here recording with you. Apparently, and apparently one of the things you should have done was make coffee for yourself if you're going to be an old stick in the mud through the whole program. I didn't realize it was going to be news on Friday on these awful shows, so I had to get how caught hard up. Is it, how hard is it to boil you some water and take a couple of spoonfuls of that Folgers and fucking drop it in a cup and stir it around and drink it down? How hard, how difficult is that? I'm not sure if we have any Folgers or anything instant like that. We have all these different machines, and then she gets another machine. I don't know what. There's a K-cup. There's a Nespresso. There's a this thing. There's a bean thing. And I just, <clears throat> and this chair's squeaking. <laughs> all right, Costanza, you need your folder, Folgers. Folders. I need my Folders. Folders, Folgers. That's what that's what <laughs> my father called Mama Cornette when they first began seeing each other. That was his nickname for her, Folger, because she was mountain grown. See, you have to remember the commercials. That was that was that's, that's hilarious good. in 1961. I'm telling you. Anyway, so I got this email. It's an update on something we remember when we discussed the curious case of the. Manager of Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop. Yeah, what was the his name? Fella, Ron Howard? Ron Howard, not to be confused with Opie Taylor. Uh, his name is Ron Howard, and he apparently believes every conspiracy theory that any nutcase ever proffered out on the internet. And now we have another testimonial. Would you like to hear this from Eric? Eric in, uh, where the fuck is Eric in? Where is he from? From sunny South Florida. Yeah, because last time it was someone from Canada, I think, who was visiting Florida, right? Well, he, the guy, that guy made a trip, and this, it was a tourist attraction thing he was going to see, but this guy lives down there, and his name is Eric, and he's Dear Mr. James E. Cornett Esquire. He's also a very respectful fellow, Eric is, and the inimitable Brian Last, so you're inimitable now. He says, I can confirm what was said about the manager of Hogan's Beach Shop, a crazy fuck named Ron Howard, who is not to be confused with the Hollywood mogul. I live in Tampa Bay and have been to Hogan's Beach Shop on a number of occasions. I have met the manager of the store more than once and can indeed confirm that there isn't a right-wing conspiracy that he doesn't automatically believe. Here's a story for you. It was July 2020 and I was living in the Midwest at the time. I took a week-long vacation to Tampa when COVID deaths were out of control. I'm not sure I would have done that, but nevertheless, he says at the time I was wearing a mask and carried hand sanitizer with me. I was walking down Mandalay Avenue and decided, 
decided to stop in to see what was for sale. Posters, autographed memorabilia, replica championship belts, t-shirts, and so much more. Oddly enough, for a place called a beach shop, I didn't find one bathing suit, bikini, beach towel, or anything someone would want or need to spend time on the fucking beach, which is right across the fucking street. Nevertheless, against the back wall is a display case where you can buy replica belts. In that case, in July 2020, was the actual 1984 WWF Championship belt on sale for $1,000. There were... <laughs> Wait a minute. There were pictures of Hulk Hogan wearing it and a signed certificate of authenticity that it was the genuine article. Brian, let's just weigh in here for a second. Editorial comment. The actual 1984 WWF championship belt that Hulk Hogan won from the Iron Sheik, it was still the green one, right? Yes. Backlund had at the end. With all the plates on the side that listed all the champions. Yes. What would you think if you did, if Hogan, I don't even know that Hogan has it, because guys didn't oh, just no. automatically be given the belt back then. If you were the champion, you carried it until you dropped it, and then somebody else had it. They only had one belt. They didn't have replicas. They didn't have standbys. So if this was the legitimate, real, original 1984 WWF belt, what do you think it would be worth and it wouldn't be $1,000? From one of these belt marks out there, it would be at least a six-figure belt. Well, this one was on sale for $1,000. And by the way, I guess Ron Howard stole it out of Triple H's office. Because I think that's well, where the last time I saw it, that's where it was. Well, that may very Not well Not that I was in Triple problem. H's office. But there, there have been pictures. Um, anyway, so Eric continues, While I'm pondering if I should buy this piece of wrestling history, a family walks in with their 15 or 16-year-old daughter. Immediately, old Ronnie boy begins to harass the young lady about her COVID mask and was going on with every conspiracy theory there was at that time. He even claimed to have caught COVID three times and never got sick. But the bald little cocksucker didn't say anything to me, probably because my biceps were bigger than his scrawny chest. Uh, this young lady was well informed of the COVID situation and was refuting his bullshit with scientific and medical facts that I knew to be true at the time but she was trying to remain respectful and wasn't arguing with him. So I spoke up from the back of the shop and asked for the price of the 1984 belt. He told me, and I said to him, I'd love to buy it, but if, you're way, if the way you're treating that young woman is any indication of how you treat the rest of your customers, you're not making that $1,000 sale today. Actually, Eric, if it was the real belt, which it wasn't, you should have bought it for $1,000. You'd have, you'd have made out like a bandit. Um, anyway, they all walked out. Um, his most recent visit was on May 20th for his 40th birthday. He thought he would buy something as a bit of a present. I was told by the young woman working there that for $20, I could get my picture taken with Hulk's final WCW belt. It still have, has Jeff Jarrett's nameplate on it. This time they had the green leather belt in the display case and the plates on the sides of it listed the previous holders. Bob Backlund, Billy Graham, Hulk Hogan, a few others I can't recall at the moment. The belt looked old. The gold plates had lost their luster. And I asked the young lady working there if that was the real deal. She said it was a replica 
And it was it was discounted two hundred dollars because Graham is spelled wrong on one of the plates. <laughs> they were selling it for four hundred dollars, but she made the claim that if it were the real deal, it would cost at least two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So now we've gone from the real one a couple of years ago for a thousand dollars to if they had the real one, it would be worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That Brian, the belt marks that you previously mentioned do you think any of them would even go two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for that belt or any belt remarkably similar to there would be a pretty big fee for that belt i'm not gonna i I don't know anyway eric continues i may have been a bit drunk but i had to choke back a laugh unless it was specifically made for someone such as floyd mayweather jr i'd have a hard time believing there is any championship belt worth that much money but she wouldn't budge, kept insisting. That's what Ron told her, that that's what Hogan's actual title belts sell for. Uh, anyway, I can neither confirm nor deny if Hogan is telling him this or if he believes it himself, considering he previously sold one of his belts, which was autographed. That first belt was autographed for $1,000. So anyway, we, we got we to gotta get these uh, belt prices under. There needs to be a, an overstreet price guide of championship belts in the wrestling business and a background check on all the belt marks i completely agree let me ask you this here's an interesting question for you let's say the nwa belt the one that was retired before the big gold belt the one that carrie von eric carved his initials in right if that was put to auction by like a big auction house not just wrestling fans finding out about something so now wrestling fans know about it and they promote it to people who wouldn't traditionally follow wrestling websites or wrestling news How much do you think a belt like that would get in a big auction like that? You know, here's the thing. Normally, up until a few years ago, there was somewhat of a a cap on something like that or a, you know, there was a range that you would make offers for belts or ring-worn things or stuff like that. But now... Think about this with that belt's history with Flair and with the NWA and with Crockett Promotions, and you've got all of these uh, celebrities now that grew up, the rappers that are always having Flair in his in his in their music videos and shit. These people got more money in the federal government. Yeah, there's a lot of Rick and- Rubens out there in Hollywood who love wrestling. Well, but now hold on, Rick Rubin. I noticed I didn't say Rick Rubin. I said a lot of these rappers have flair in their videos. They they put five hundred thousand dollars in their mouth full of gold teeth just so it looks I'm not comparing the on rap- camera. I'm not comparing the rappers to Rick Rubin. I'm comparing celebrities and people in Hollywood with power and influence and money that they could spend. I'm comparing them yes. to Rick Rubin and their wrestling fans. Well, but I'm saying that I don't think Rick Rubin would have spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars for anybody's title belt. But I think that probably one of these rappers or or sports celebrities, football players, the you know, give me two claps and a Ric Flair, they're making $58 million playing for fucking the Broncos or whatever. I don't know football. One of those people may very well do that and, and, and not think anything about a quarter of a million dollars. It's nothing to them. Oh, there's, you know, I've got Ric Flair's title belt right over here next to Bruce Willis's left testicle. I can buy anything. So it, it could happen. You can't rule it out. 
I don't think that anybody's going to buy it off the wall in Hulk Hogan's beach shop for a quarter of $8. <laughs> From Ron Howard. From Ron Howard. Even if his brother Clint came in. Just wait till my brother gets off work. How big a boy is he? Um, you know what's getting a little crazy? You read two emails now on the air. We've received other emails too. This isn't like an isolated thing. Everyone apparently has a story about dealing with this guy. No, yeah, I've seen six or seven that I, you know, tread over the same ground or we just, I didn't want to beat it to death, but it's, it's a popular topic. He makes an impression on people. I guess that's a good salesman, makes an impression on people. Not sure what kind of impression, but he makes one. Anyway, God damn it. What else? Um, here's, uh, let's get this out of the way now real quick. I just want to make mention of it. I don't know whether everybody saw the news. Uh, I guess it was day before yesterday, but Melanie Pillman passed away. Uh, Brian Pillman Sr.'s ex-wife and obviously Brian Jr.'s mother. And Brian Jr. is the one that made the announcement. And I, everybody saw the Dark Side of the Ring you know, episode. A lot of people have, writ, have read the uh, excellent book that was written on Brian Pillman. What's the author's name? It wrote crazy like a Fox. Liam O'Rourke, I believe. Liam O'Rourke. So they know a lot of the stories about Melanie and there's other stories. And a lot of people don't know that this is not the time to retell them, but it just, I met her a time or two and, you know, with the situation being what it was, I, you know, I'm not, announcing this because everybody's necessarily you know it's on the tip of everybody's tongue i just i feel the worst for brian jr and all of his siblings because they're the ones that really got jacked around in this whole situation and thankfully everybody knows that you know brian's sister linda was a uh was a big factor in helping the kids make it and she was a saint to, you know, all the things that she did. But, uh, but anyway, Brian did, it was, he put a statement out announcing, you know, situation with Melanie and that, you know, he had not actually had the chance. Well, you never like, get the chance to say, you don't say goodbye to somebody for the, you know, for good the last time you ever see him because you don't know it's the last time you're ever going to see him. But he wished some things had been differently or had been different. And it just, it's, it's sad, but that was a piece of news that came out just a couple of days ago. And again, I just feel bad for Brian and, you know, the rest of the kids that were really in the, the ones in the middle of all of that. Um, and speaking of kids in the middle of stuff, why don't we get this out of the way real quick? Here's an update on last week's editorial that I did on, well, <laughs> I was about to say our most recent mass shooting, but since, again, for the domestic fans, you know what's going on. For the international listeners, we've had four mass shootings in the United States since Uvalde, Texas, last weekend that we talked about. So it's, you know, just another day in America. But I want to give equal time. Because I blistered the Republicans and the conservatives and the gun nuts and all the lunatics that won't do anything about this bullshit. So I thought I would I would give them the opportunity to try to explain themselves. And so I watched some of the news programs 
that would normally feature these repugnant pieces of shit, most normal, uh, reputable news sources don't give the Republicans a lot of fucking air because it's all bullshit. So I had to go seek them out. I didn't have to seek out the president, President Biden, and I used that term respectfully because unlike his predecessor in office, this one is deserves respect. He came out and said everything that you would expect a sane, rational, reasonable individual, a leader, a president would say. The same thing that Barack Obama had to do every time this happened, when he came out and had to again say, we've got to do something. What are we going to do, Republicans? So this time, President Biden called for not anything crazy, not definitely not what needs to be done, which we've talked about before, but what a moderate person would call for to be done. I love the idea that these people try to say, oh, Biden's a radical socialist. What the f- If you think Joe Biden is radical or socialist or in any way even too far progressive, you're a fucking idiot. But he did the reasonable thing. He says, we got to ban assault weapons. People can't own those anymore. High-capacity magazines, 30 and 40 rounds a clip. People can't own those anymore. Expand the background checks. Waiting periods. People can't just go pick this up. And who are they? We need to know these things. Expand the red flag laws. And again, for those in other countries who are normal and sane and rational, We have a thing in the United States called a red flag law where if your friends or your family or close associates go to the authorities and say, oh, so-and-so over there has a weapon or weapons, and he's also exhibiting signs of mental illness or being a danger to himself or others, then there's procedure where they can red flag you and the cops will come and take your weapons away from you. Not permanently now. No, just for a while, just till you're feeling better. Just till you get a brain transplant or, you know, something makes you not mentally ill and a danger to others, then they have to give you the guns back. But at least it's it's some kind of law that prohibits people in the United States from having guns, which those are sorely needed, and more of them as soon as possible. But the red flag laws, as I said, are only temporary. It's kind of like, I told you this was a couple of years ago, Brian, with the Kentucky State Police. When they confiscate guns from criminals and or confiscate guns that have been used in the commission of crimes, they gather them up, and then once or twice a year they have a sale where licensed gun dealers can come to a private sale and buy the guns from the police. And then the licensed gun dealers turn turn them back around and sell them to the public. Guess where many of those guns end up, Brian? Where's that? Back at the state police headquarters where they've caught him in the middle of other fucking crimes. But anyway, 
So that's what Biden wanted to do. Things that any sane, rational person would want to do to keep children from being slaughtered in their schools and people being shot in church and grocery stores and doctor's offices. But no! This is where the equal time comes in. You know what the Republicans have to say about that? The governor of West Virginia, who I swear to God looks like old Charlie Harbin, a fucking wrestling promoter down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. His ass was so wide when he would walk up to you, his ass would be jiggling back and forth, and he would stop, and his ass would keep going for another 20 seconds. The governor of West Virginia, who is a Republican, said, well, the thing that needs to be dealt with is not guns, but it's the porn and the violent video games and the single-parent households. That's what's led to the moral decay of America. We need to get back to God and get back in church. Better faith values. This is what a lot of the Republicans just Pay attention to God more. We need more faith. We need more church going. Besides the fact that they, in every other country in the world, they have single parents. In every other country in the world, they have porn. Some, some places, they have better porn than we do. In every other country in the world, they have video games. They just don't have the one thing that we got, the guns. But God will fix this. If we all go to church, Nobody will be mentally ill, and all the people, the 18-year-old kids that are allowed to buy AK-47s will suddenly stop shooting everybody. Have you noticed, by the way, I've been talking about this for 15 years, God and guns and the patriot crowd, they're inextricably linked. As a matter of fact, there was a study done just recently. The evangelicals, which is what the religious fanatics are called in this country, the evangelicals, they are a large portion of gun owners because somehow the conservative God values and the patriotism has crossed over into the Second Amendment and the people who are most likely to believe in God are also most likely to be gun owners. So the Oklahoma governor, who is a Republican, guess what he just did? He just signed an anti-red flag law. So even if some of the cities or local counties, municipalities in Oklahoma try to strengthen their red flag laws, they can't in the whole state because the governor signed an anti-red flag law so that the, nobody would be allowed to infringe on his citizens' rights to have guns. And coincidentally, uh, day before yesterday in Oklahoma, they had a mass shooting where a guy was mad at his doctor for not doing a good job on his surgery, so he bought an AR-15 2 o'clock in the afternoon day of the shooting incident and took that and the pistol that he'd bought from a pawn shop a few days earlier and went to the hospital and shot his doctor and a bunch of people that tried to get in the way. So that'll teach those doctors. Thank you, Governor Oklahoma dipshit. This was the, no, the Colorado, Colorado Republican. Do you know what the people in Colorado are using their assault rifles, the AR-15s for, Brian? I don't know. 
The Colorado Republican actually said we use the AR-15s to kill the raccoons before they get to our chickens. So an AR-15 is needed for that. Rambo is blowing away the coon menace, and that trumps child murder. What kind of coons are they dealing with and shooting at out there in Colorado? What kind of coons does he want to be shooting at down deep? The raccoons menacing the chickens is more important than... They had, by the way, to identify some of the kids at the elementary school, the fourth graders in Texas, by their DNA records because there wasn't enough body left for their parents to figure out who they were, and the remains had to be cremated because there wasn't enough to put in a fucking coffin. But this clown wants to shoot raccoons to protect the chickens with assault rifles. By the way, if hearing any of those details makes you uncomfortable, I hope it does. So you'll know what kind of fucking filth we're dealing with here. And lastly, in the display of de-evolution that is the Republican Party, and these assholes, and criminals, and dipshits, and morons, and greedy, avaricious, repugnant pieces of shit that would rather take the NRA money than see your children live to see the fifth grade. Senator Mo Brooks, he's a Republican, and I think he's from Alabama, and that figures too. Do you know why he says the Second Amendment cannot possibly be changed, must not be changed or infringed upon in any way, even if it saves children from being slaughtered in school? Because, Brian, this was a quote from him. I saw this on tape. The Second Amendment must not be changed because it's there so if our government ever gets dictatorial, the citizens can take it back. This guy's a fucking senator. These are the kind of geniuses that Republican voters elect. He is in the Senate, and he's talking about overthrowing it. The only time anybody ever came close to overthrowing the government was when the president was in on it himself last January 6th. And Mo Brooks was one of the cheerleaders. Mowbray, yes, and he, he thinks that these this ragtag band of toothless, knuckle-dragging dipshits that votes for them and believes in their bullshit and stockpiles automatic rifles are going to overthrow the government. <laughs> he works for the fucking government. He ought to know that no, unless he's a complete blithering simpleton. No, a bunch of fucking rednecks with their automatic assault rifles that they shoot raccoons with are not going to overthrow the United States fucking government, except if the president is in on it, as he was the last time they tried and would be again if he ever gets elected again. Otherwise, it ain't going to happen. 
Because there'd be a bunch of dipshits against the most well-trained, well-equipped military in the fucking known history of the world. And even if they're not supposed to shoot U.S. citizens, do you think... I got an idea for you. Let Black Lives Matter have a goddamn rally. Send them 200 assault rifles and let them just walk down the street and see how quick the fucking government shoots them. So the same thing would apply if the fucking hillbilly crowd, 500 of them with a collective total of 17 teeth were to be walking down the mall in Washington ready to take back their government, one drone, done. But this fucking guy, again, these people get elected because these the voters of these people are mentally ill just like they are, and they want people just like them in these positions. And that's why that, yes, all of the things President Biden called to do will easily pass the House of Representatives, and then it'll get stuck in the Senate, and nothing will get done because there's only 50 Democrats. We need 10 Republicans, and there's not 10 Republicans with the honor, the integrity, the conscience, the honesty, or the brain power to do anything because they're afraid that all of their goddamn swamp-sucking fucking voters will vote for another right-wing nut instead of them. So let everybody's kids get slaughtered. Porn and video games. We need more church. We need more God. We got to stop those raccoons one way or another. And the real reason is because these fucking morons think and they fantasize in their pea brains that they're going to take over the goddamn federal government. If it on their say so, when they decide that the government is getting too big for their britches, he's a what did what would if you were on a police force and one of the cops was saying, yeah. Now, they we're really getting too fucking prickish toward the black people. I think the black people, Black Lives Matter, ought to come in here and kick the shit out of us. You think he'd be fucking popular with the rest of that? This is a senator going, yeah, we're a bunch of assholes. We think that potentially the citizens should come in here and overthrow us by force if necessary with their assault rifles. Think he gets invited to a lot of goddamn picnics? Anyway, deadly raccoons, Brian, deadly raccoons. And feral pigs, if I remember correctly. Feral pigs. You know what we need instead of deadly raccoons and feral pigs, Brian? What's that? We need the Dad's Want Steaks package from Omaha Steaks. I tell you what, I'm thinking about the pigs, I'm thinking about the raccoons, I'm thinking about the possums. There's nothing like a good old possum pie. But folks... Father's Day is coming up, and that's the time for grilling. And that's the time for Omaha Steaks. At omahasteaks.com, you go there right now, you type JCE in the search bar, you order the Dad's Want Steaks package, you know what you get? 16 mouth-watering entrees. I've been drooling for the past four days. They've scheduled me for a CAT scan. But it all started when I had the delicious, tender, smoky, bacon-wrapped filet mignon. Stace and I went through several of those the other night, along with the delicious caramel apple tartlets for dessert. And I haven't been able to stop my mouth from watering ever since then. 
Hear it? It's just slurping. Folks, the Dads Want Steaks package for just $99, 16 mouthwatering entrees like the bacon-wrapped filet mignons, the gourmet jumbo franks, and boneless chicken breasts. And like I said, when you go to omahasteaks.com and you type JCE in the search bar, get the Dads Want Steaks package, you're going to get eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. And now they're bigger than ever. They used to be a quarter pound. Now they're six ounces. That's over a third pound. Actually, it's not quite a half a pound, but it's close enough for rock and roll. These things are fat. Big pieces of cattle byproduct that go on a bun. You can send dad more than just a gift. You can send him an experience and a meal. He'll love it. I don't know whether they want to share it with you or not because dads want steaks. They don't want to give steaks away, but get your dad or mom or brother, sister, or anybody in your neighborhood. The dads want steaks package and get eight free Omaha Steaks burgers when you go to omahasteaks.com and use the keyword J-C-E. Brian, again, cattle byproduct with lots of sauces and season and the steak seasoning from Omaha Steaks. We use that on everything, including ice cream. What? It'll make your eyes water, I'll tell you that. I wouldn't do Folks, that, but they have fine food. They have fine food. The ice cream will melt, though. Don't get your ice cream from Omaha Steaks. Get that from your freezer. Get the rest of everything from Omaha Steaks including your appetite. Dads want steaks. OmahaSteaks.com, JCE in the search bar. Dead cows delivered to your door. Slather them on a bun or a plate. Cut them up. Stick them in your face. Rub your throat so you can swallow them easier. Oh, boy. Your tongue will be slapping your brains out. You'll be licking your lips so fast. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword. JCE. All right, we're going to talk about some wrestling now, I guess, and try to make some sense out of all of this. I'm rubbing my face. I know you're in a miserable mood today, you caffeine cowboy, but it was six months ago, we're like, AEW is going to run away with this thing. We got Punk, we got Danielson, he's the greatest, they're the greatest, blah, blah, blah. And then the they drop the ball. The WWE staggers back. Well, now they've got Cody. Everybody's talking about him. Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar. Oh, shit. WrestleMania. Then all of their people leave, go away, walk out, go Hollywood, whatever. Now we're, we have some reason to believe that AEW is going to perk up with Punk as the champion, a new administration. It was almost like a new presidential election. We got a second chance to start over and do this thing right. That lasted for, what, three days? Um, the last week of wrestling, we're back to neither side's going to win this war. The WWF product is the most boring, repetitious, bland, sanitized, homogenized, pasteurized, bleh, that I've ever seen. And AEW is the gang that can't shoot straight. Eva Karma now is on them. So, I, and who were you retweeted this? Uh, somebody out there in the Twitter verse said they felt especially bad for you and me. Now we have to watch AEW without Punk or MJF for however long. And 
the WWE, it's it's Cody and others. It may, they might as well just change everybody else's name on the card to many others. It wasn't a fun week. Did you see Raw this past Monday night? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, we had wrestling. And there wasn't, uh, there was what, an hour of actual quality programming on both from both promotions. Did you see Raw? Did you watch Raw? Did you care about Raw? I'm not sure, because this is one of those weeks where... <laughs> If you ask me, I want to say, no, I didn't. And I'm sure as you start recapping things, I'm going to go, I kind of remember something like that. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, well, on Monday night, I, I just want to, I've made some measurements here and, and jotted some things. But uh, Monday night's Raw, this was May the 30th, Memorial Day. They started strong, big time backs, Becky Lynch. One of the better heel promos in the WWE, male or female. She does a, a great job with this material that they write, but she makes it sound like she's actually kind of saying it or it's what she believes rather than just the recitation that they most mostly get. But she's talking about Oscar again, and they showed, remember when she she said, when I went to go create life like the God I am. When she went to have a baby, she gave the belt to Oscar in the case, right? But that was all part of her plan, Smithers. She was going to give it to Oscar, and she'd go off and have the baby, then come back and beat Oscar for it, because she figured Oscar's good enough to beat everybody else but her, that type of thing. But then here comes Oscar's music, and out she comes, and I was actually interested in the interview until Oscar. And again, the speaking and the screeching. She came out in the coat of many colors that Kramer wore on that episode of Seinfeld. And I just can't take the speaking. And we've talked about this. And you can't figure out a way to talk me out of it. I can't. You've talked me into it. You've yeah. talked me into it because once you see that, you realize how ridiculous it is. I still think she's a good wrestler. I think she's one of the better women wrestlers in the world. And she's really good. But yeah, this is this is cringy stuff. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So then Bianca comes out, and bear in mind we're having a three-way. We're having a triple threat match on the pay-per-view that is airing this weekend on the cock. And I guess if if anybody, I'm not even willing for the convenience of on-screen fast forward to pay money for this pay-per-view this weekend. We'll watch it on the cock and talk about it on the drive-through this week. But they're having a three-way. So they do this interview and then it sets up Bianca against Oscar with Becky on color. And then Becky ends up interfering and beats up both of them at the end of the thing. It was 30 minutes into the show with just these three girls doing the promo, doing the match, and at an angle so they can come back and have 20 more minutes on the pay-per-view to do the same thing we've been watching them do for the past several weeks. It's like there's eight different people in the WWE, and they're all handcuffed to each other. So that was 30 minutes of my life. We had the Mysterios and Elikiel against Gable and Otis and Kevin Owens. So they just re-signed Kevin Owens for a couple million dollars a year, if we're to believe that. And he's stuck in this six-man... 
I remember when if you paid somebody a couple million dollars, you kind of got a main event fucking star for your money. They're paying $2 million to stick guys in mid-card six-mans? So then Cody, thankfully, at least we got something here to look at. He does an in-ring promo about Seth because they're going to have a Hell in a Cell match. The thing that Cody Rhodes can't control, he has pitched his idea, his presentation, his outfit. Vince has signed off on everything, didn't even need to get the tattoo derma brazed. But what he can't control is being on a show that's three hours long and everything else about it is dreary as shit. And so, you know, it's a segment. And again, it's just, they've had two matches. They've interacted every week for the, since before WrestleMania or right before WrestleMania, when they started this thing, um, you know, Cody does the promo the saying that he saw potential in Seth Rollins instantly. And so did his father in NXT. And that's true actually. And so did Tom Pritchard for that matter. So did I in ring of honor. I talked to when, when Tyler black left ring of honor, went to NXT and I was afraid he would languish there in obscurity until he got fed up with the wrestling business and quit. Like a lot of other, other people did. I asked Tom one time, he'd been down there for months and months. And I said, what the fuck are they doing with Tyler Black? Why is he down there? He's He can perform. He can go. He's new. He's fresh. He couldn't get out of the indie habits and do what they'd asked him to do. And I think he was still slapping his leg. And so it was rocky. But everybody who knew wrestling saw something in Seth Rollins. Anyway, Cody does the promo, and basically, he couldn't return with a loss. He didn't return with a loss. Now he's beat Seth twice, and both times he was the better man, and it drove Seth crazy. Have you noticed, Brian, they do not what Cody Rhodes on this? They whatted everybody else that tried to speak on this show. They don't what. Part of it is because he doesn't use that many periods, and sometimes he's smart and puts them in the middle of a sentence where it wouldn't make any sense to ask what after the statement he made, but they're listening to him. They're not listening to these other guys because the other guys, they're slow. They're not confident. They're, they're being made to perpetrate lackluster material and the fans are amusing them, themselves with Cody. They're listening. Or am I just imagining that? Cody's the one guy who, when he does a promo works himself into a sweat. <laughs> and I think people appreciate that there. You know, and he's saying true. different things and he's interesting compared to everyone else. I do say, and I know there's air conditioning in the big buildings, but I don't remember. I was on a lot of Raws and I've been in a lot of big buildings. I don't remember ever doing a live TV interview that I did not break a sweat ever. Wintertime, summertime, whatever. But a lot of these people, they're probably just scared somebody's going to hear them and they're ashamed of the material. Anyway, here comes Seth. And now he's coming down from the bleachers in Jim Barnett's smoking jacket. Uh, and he talks for quite a while. He finally gets to a point, but it took him a significant amount of time to get there. But he makes the point that Cody left because he wasn't good enough and his 
little friends and he tried to tear down what Seth Rollins was building over in the WWE, but it didn't work. So he came back to fulfill the family destiny. So they are in a, a backhanded way, acknowledging Cody's little uh, hiatus from the company. Seth's promo, the, the, the bone of contention, the point there, it wouldn't have been bad if it wasn't for the unnatural acting and the affectations and the laughing and the, the Joker character thing. He just has They've to got- yell out, I'm on dust, and it'll all make sense. <laughs> but they've, they've got a nice little rivalry, and the matches have been good. And if Seth just, whatever, they've got him acting like that. But anyway, so Cody dares Seth to come to the ring, and Seth comes to the rail and says, ah, not today, and turns around to walk out. But Cody goes after him in the arena, catches him, beats him up, spears him through the barricade. Here come the referees and the agents. We got to see Shane Helms and Adam Pierce, Sean Davari. Love Davari. Great guy. Glad to see he's got gainful employment. And they get Cody to the back, and Seth is blowed up, and then here comes Cody back out for the eight. That's that was a great touch, and it kept the people up. Cody knows how to do a pull apart. You don't just get in a fucking clump and throw fake punches until people get in the middle of you. There's the pulling apart, and there's the breaking loose, and there's the sweetening it, and so. The people chanted, this is awesome for a pull-apart. When's the last time you heard that from anybody? And I know this is awesome gets thrown around way too easily these days with a lot of shit that ain't awesome, but normally you don't get it for a... But they were excited in the in the arena here because look at what they have set through. The first hour of this program was 30 minutes with the girls and then the six-man mid-card and... Now they're finally seeing some stars. And but we'll put we'll go ahead. I saw this. This had to be from Cody because, and I'm not saying that in a bad way at all, because this was really good. This reminded me a lot of when Cody and his guys confronted Jericho in the inner circle in the press box in the crowd. They wouldn't come down. So Cody said, We'll come up to you. And he yeah. went through the crowd and it gets a great reaction. And this stood apart from everything else on the show. And then <laughs> Since they'd given us stars, they decided, no, 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 not too much of that. And we go to Alexa Bliss versus Dewdrop. <sighs> Again, and I I guess Alexa Bliss, is she is she the one going to be in a movie? They've said coming up, one of them is going to be in a movie. She should consider that as a second career. I would say she's a great actress as a wrestler. This looked like... If it was guys, it would have been Rey Mysterio versus Mark Henry without the talent. Dude drops 350 pounds. Alexa Bliss is 75. Then we got a Miz TV segment with the Street Profits. And that degenerated into the 24-7 bullshit segment where 8 to 10 people, including a couple of the girls, are in there trying to win or retain the 24-7 comedy belt. People, there are writers that are paid and to actually come up with shit to put on the air, and they do this. So then, we were an hour and 45 minutes into the show, and we got Tommaso Ciampa against Mustafa Ali, and I said, at this point, Cody and Seth were dressed in street clothes. So Tommaso Ciampa 
was the first guy on the program who looked and acted like a pro wrestler. In shape, serious, good work, lean, mean, slick, and quick. And they rushed through all of this because they had very little time. And the fans didn't care because they're not featured. So Champa's work is almost impeccable. He dominated NXT. He's been brought here and presented as a mid-card flunky for whatever reason. And, and Theory was on color and sounded okay. But basically, after a few minutes, Ali makes a comeback, hits a big dive, and then Theory pulls his fucking leg and the referee calls for a DQ. And then Theory jumps on Ali and gets big heat on him while Champa had completely disappeared and was never seen again or referred to. Remember back when this shit made sense? If a heel jumped in and got another heel disqualified for kicking the shit out of the baby face, they would at least join together since the guy was down. <laughs> I'm mad because I've just been wrestling the guy. You're mad at him because it's your program. Let's both kick the shit out of it. But no, Champa disappears it's like they've got a trap door under the ring so two hours into the show i've liked cody and seth rollins and tomaso champa and they're burying him but they go to the break because it ain't over they come back from the break and theory is still in the ring still kicking the shit out of mustafa ali through the whole break which that's not only what we're led to believe, that's what the announcers actually say. And then the referee asked Ali if he wants to start the match. And they do. For the U.S. title, Austin Theory against Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Mustafa Ali. I thought there was only eight or nine people on this. There's only seven on this show. So they start a match. Ali took a big backdrop. Nice to see that. Theory got a smidge of heat on him. Ali fought back, and then Theory hit his finish, pinned him one, two, three in two minutes. What, the, the, what are they doing? Did you see any of this? No, thankfully. <laughs> All right. So in that case, just in case uh, you're keeping track, Tommaso Ciampa versus Mustafa Ali, Ciampa loses by DQ and disappears. Theory beats the shit out of Mustafa Ali for five or six minutes straight. Then they start a match. Then Theory beats him in two minutes. And then Adam Pierce comes out. And guess what he did, Brian? He added a rematch to the pay-per-view this weekend between Austin Theory and Mustafa Ali. So we get to see it again. Let me ask you a question. Please do. An hour and a half, whatever it was, an hour 45 into this show, when the Cody Rollins segment aired, if you were a fan sitting there trying to think of the roster in your head and you realized who could possibly be coming up for the remainder of the show, with the likelihood it won't be either Seth or Cody, why would you stay at that point? Well, that's a good question, and I have no answer for it, because they know Brock Lesnar, they know Roman Reigns, they know Paul Heyman. Starting to get thin. But you will know that they did give us something to look forward to because immediately after they signed that rematch of the match that we didn't want to see the first time around, Matt Riddle 
in the hallway dressed as evil Knievel is teaming up with Shaky Nakamura later on in the program against the Usos. So we got that going for us. As a matter of fact, it was up next. And I didn't watch it because Shaky makes me nervous, Riddle makes me nauseous, and giraffes flew out of his ass tonight. So again, and I did, I watched a little bit of this, and you know something else that, to me, hurts these WWE matches, and a lot of people may not think about this, I've mentioned it before, but it, it just hit me again. AEW is using a regular ring. And it sounds like a regular ring. The WWE uses that fucking, I yes, I did get him to change the construction so that it had a little more give and bumps a little better, but then Kevin Dunn got into him again and muffled. The, they actually wrap, or at least they did at the time. Maybe they've got a higher tech way to do it now. But they would wrap blankets in between the metal support beams so that when somebody took a body slam or a bump or just whatever, it wouldn't go bam. It goes. Because Kevin Dunn, AKA Bucky Beaver said the ring was too loud for the microphones. It didn't sound good on television. So unless these guys are taken on the WWE programs, unless they're taking a superplex off the top rope, you get no, no noise out of the ring. You get no bam on a bump or bam on a fucking, you know, anybody. I mean, I've laughed before that the girls are so light they can't make any noise in the ring, and that's true for some of the girls even in an AEW ring or a regular wrestling ring. But you can't hear anything. It just, it's like it's not happening. It. You've watched wrestling for 30-something years, Brian. The the bam adds to the bump. It adds to the impact. It adds to the the presentation of the whole thing. And the WWE is just poof. Now that I've said that, are you going to be able to unsee that? Probably not. Perhaps the ring sound was interfering with the fake crowd noise. That might be possible because the the fake crowd can get loud at times. We don't want it to be anyway. So, herein is what we're going home on Raw, big boy. I timed this because at first I was watching it and I said, wait a minute, I've, I've lost track of what's supposed to be going on here. And then I had to back up and make notes. Okay, at 10.15 Eastern time on Raw, Liv Morgan makes her entrance into the arena and is introduced by the ring announcer for her match, right? From 10.15 to 10.16. Okay. That's what happens. Then they go to the break. She's on her way to the ring. That's three minutes. They come back from the break, and they show a package on Titus O'Neil at the Indy 500, and they recap what Theory did earlier in the night and the match being added to the pay-per-view. Then they go to a backstage promo from Mustafa Ali, where he says a couple of things, and he's jumped from behind by Theory and has the shit kicked out of him again, and Theory takes a selfie with him. And then they go back to the announce desk where the announcers sell the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view matches 
And then we go back to the ring where we see Liv Morgan standing in the ring and Rhea Ripley's music starts. It's now 10.25 Eastern. Liv has been standing in the ring for 10 minutes. But here comes Ripley. But guess what, Brian? Ripley's on the way to the ring. We go to a break. We come back. And we have the Money in the Bank spot where they say that it will now be held in the intimate confines of the MGM Grand Arena. Is that how they put it? Intimate confines <laughs> is a quote. Yeah, the intimate confines of the MGM Grand where you can shoot deer in the balcony if it's a bad house. Then they do an announcer stand-up and promo about it being Memorial Day and they pitch to a Memorial Day package on the military and service people and etc., and come back to the crowd, who's now chanting USA, USA, and the bell rings to start the match. Guess what time? Now, what time did you say Liv Morgan came out? Was it 10.15? Liv Morgan's music started playing, and she made her entrance into the arena at 10.15. What time did the actual match start? The bell rang to start the match at 10.34. Wow! Oh, my God! 19 minutes! That's incredible. 19 minutes after the entrance. And by the way, by the way, now we get to the match. So let's just examine this. 19 minutes to get them there. And they had a big girl, little girl. I always say big man, little man match. Well, it's a big girl, little girl match. If this was 1930s Hollywood, Rhea Ripley would be Joan Crawford and Liv Morgan would be Zazu Pitts. And uh, Dale Spear will be the one human being in the world laughing right now. They, they're, they've been fighting every week. Liv Morgan does not grow on me. She's too girly to be a wrestler. Rhea Ripley has to not only bend over backward, but has to do the limbo to make it believable that Liv Morgan is hanging in there with her, right? So they go to three minutes of the, or they do three minutes of match. And then they go to another break, and they're break for three minutes. So when they come back, AJ Styles and Damian Priest are at ringside for their respective girls, and Rhea Ripley's getting some heat on Lib. There wasn't a lot of action, because what's she going to do? She's holding her in a hold, because what's she going to do? Every time Liv Morgan tries to fire up, it's awkward. And how many different ways can Rhea Ripley beat up this tiny little girl? The best thing about Liv's comeback was Rhea Ripley taking a hell of a bump through the buckles into the post and to the floor. But finally, Priest interfered and AJ attacked him. And Ripley got distracted. And Morgan did a roll-up. They did a dosi do and a roll-up. And the referee goes down for the count. One, two, and holds up the three. There was no kick out. The bell rang, Liv Morgan rolled up and raised her hands, the fans cheered, and I guess that was it. So the finish was Liv Morgan winning on a two count because the referee got flummoxed and it was one of the female referees. She couldn't, I guess she didn't think that was the finish. I don't know what the, ha what the fuck happened, but they just went on with it. So it they, they couldn't have had a better camera shot of a two count if they'd have tried, if it had been written in the show. So what we had 
That match ended, by the way. Oh, and and then Priest beat up AJ, and then Finn Balor came out and beat up Priest, but then Liv Morgan beat up Ripley, but then AJ and Finn beat up Priest because they're having a six-person tag at the pay-per-view. So that whole thing was over with at 10.45. A 30-minute segment, 30 minutes from the time that Liv Morgan's entrance started till the time that this fight was over with was eight minutes of match nine minutes of commercials, and 13 minutes of other stuff. Can't wait for that six-person tag at the pay-per-view we're not going to pay for. Sounds. Did you weird. see any of that? I did not see any of that. I, I tapped out after Cody and Seth. You mean you missed the contract signing? Yes. I don't even know what contract you're talking about. Yes. The big main event? Well... <laughs> What other contract signing can there be with a match of this magnitude coming up this weekend on the pay-per-view, Brian? The contract signing for the handicap match with Bobby Lashley against almost an MVP. Oh my God, I forgot about these guys. And Adam Pierce is hosting it. They got the table in the ring. They got the chairs in the ring. Has poor Adam Pierce not learned yet? Remember when every once in a while for a major title match or a big grudge match, you'd get the contract signing and it was something memorable and you'd do a little angle? How many contract signings have we seen on WWE television in just the last few months? There's been a lot, I think. A lot? Yeah. What happens every time? They go to sign the contract, they either sign it or they don't sign it, but one way or another, the table gets turned over, the chairs get tossed out, they get in a fight. Right? Every single fucking time. Yeah. Well, good. Now you know what happened. They had they had six minutes left on the air when this segment started, so they apparently had a lot of faith in it. And MVP shamed Lashley verbally for all that he did for him. And then Lashley has done this and a brutal beating waits for him on Sunday. And the fans started whatting MVP. And it's not MVP's fault, but nobody cares about this because almost is an anchor around the neck of everybody that's interacting with him. You just, so then Lashley and MVP bickered a little bit and Lashley signed the contract. And MVP tries to get almost to attack Lashley because they're running out of airtime. And hey, all right, good, do it. Well, Lashley picks the desk up and throws it out of the ring. And then almost starts tossing security out. So it went from, okay, we're signing this contract to now it's a major brawl with furniture being thrown instantly. It escalated unreasonably quickly. Right? Because there there was no there was no idea here. There was no fresh concept or anything that could be said to justify having this contract signing. They just, they had to check the box that they were promoting this match and they did it the same way as they do every other match. So nothing was said here that was earth breaking or earth shaking groundbreaking. Nothing was advanced here. They filled some time and both guys threw all the security members over the top rope which now had that's been between Wardlow and and everything else. Now they're even doing a rib on AEW television. There's a class action suit filed by the fake lawyer Mark Sterling on behalf of the goddamn security company. 
Cedric came in, got on Bobby Lashley, but I don't know. Then my DVR froze. Right as almost was going to get on Lashley, an MVP got on him. The DVR froze because they were out of time. I don't know what the fuck. But that was that. Was that. Closing thoughts on Raw. Three hours. Yeah, so was the review, it seemed like, and it wasn't. I mean, that's the problem with <laughs> Raw. You can't even talk about it without getting tired. And I'm assuming a lot of people got tired, a lot of people fell asleep, and a lot of people the next day woke up needing a good, healthy breakfast to recover from the debauchery that they witnessed on Monday Night Raw. Well, actually, I think a lot of people needed uh, psychiatric assistance and some black tar heroin to get over that program. But I see where you were going with that, Brian, and I will... I will see your good night's sleep and healthy breakfast, and I will raise you the way to have that healthy breakfast. Because that healthy breakfast always emanates from our fine friends at Magic Spoon. Folks, one of our favorite sponsors, one of the OGs of the sponsoring groups and entities that permeate our programs, and one of our favorites of the uh, Cult of Cornet listeners, Magic Spoon, because everybody likes to eat. Everybody likes to eat stuff that tastes good, and everybody likes to eat stuff that's good for you. And you don't usually find all those things intersecting, but you do with Magic Spoon. They got the flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. Whether it's breakfast, whether it's using it as trail mix throughout the day, or a midnight snack right before bed. Whether you just want to eat a handful of it, whether you want to pour it in a bowl and then pour some milk on it. I like it with the Sprite Zero and maybe a couple of cubes of ice. But whatever the case, however you ingest this miracle ingredient, there's no carbs, there's no sugar, zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs in each serving, 140 calories a serving. There's no keto, there's no gluten, there's no grain, there's no soy. There's just taste. And otherwise than that, it's, ficti- it's pixie dust. I don't know where they get that. They must get this shit out of Tinkerbell's ass. But regardless, right now, you can build your own box with flavors available, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry, cinnamon, and the newly reformulated honey nut flavor. Put a little nut in your honey. It's always a fine time for everyone. Folks, right now, go to magicspoon.com. Get that custom bundle. Pick the flavors you like, and all you got to do is use the promo code Jim at checkout. You'll save $5 off. Again, that's magicspoon.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim to save $5 off. And of course, the 100% happiness guarantee. They want you to have to such a smile on your face, they'll have to wipe it off with a sandblaster. If you don't like this cereal for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. And after you get that money back, just make sure you don't leave the house for a few weeks because they'll probably still be looking for you. If you do leave the house, don't take the money in your pocket because people have been known to be pickpocketed in dark alleys after they've strong-armed their money back on a fair transaction. But anyway, they'll do it pleasantly, won't they, Brian? You know, you even eat your magic spoon and coffee. I don't do that. I like to nibble on it. I grab little bits of it, I throw it in my mouth, and I put a big smile on my face as I chew. Well, put it in your mouth and suck on it, folks. Magicspoon.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim to save $5 off. You'll you'll suck all the, the fake sugary goodness off the cereal, 
and and it it even turns your tongue bright, happy colors. You'll just be happy. Magicspoon.com slash Jim. You'll be happy, unlike if you watched wrestling this week. All righty. Well, take a, take a big drink of your coffee, Brian. Do you have some coffee now to wake you up, get you, get you in the mood? Yeah, Suzanne got me my coffee because I've been busy recording, but this is not what I usually drink, so I don't know. What- oh, it's, it's an off-brand coffee? No, it's the same brand. It's just she used words I guess I've never used when ordering her coffee, and it resulted in whatever I have here. What kind of words do you need to – give me a coffee. Here's what With I typically get. or sugar. How many words does that take? Here's what I typically get at Starbucks. I'll say, can I have a venti skim blonde cappuccino with an extra shot of espresso and three sugars? Get a lot of caffeine. It'll taste good. Say that again. A venti skim blonde cappuccino with an extra shot of espresso and three sugars. That sounds like a police description of a fucking suspect. I don't even understand most of those words. What are you getting? Give me a give me a cup of coffee. Cream and sugar, or both, or neither. Well, the, sus- it- the suspect in my hand says venti cappuccino brev, three sugar, triple. No skim milk. I don't know what the hell brev is, and let alone it's not blonde. Did you get that coffee from our friends at Code Academy? <laughs> I did not get it from Code Academy. <laughs> that sounds like some of the stuff you've learned to write. Uh, at that uh, anyway, so uh, drink it down. I need I need a tag here in a few minutes. Anyway. Um, let's finish up the WWE for the week. Uh, I read the recap of NXT to see if there was anything that I would remotely be interested in seeing. And the answer was no. Braun Breaker is still on the program and he's having a, apparently a heated rivalry with Joe Gacy. And I haven't understood what Joe Gacy's gimmick is, what his appeal is, what he's saying, what he's doing. Or he, he looks like a fucking 12-year-old outlaw wrestler. So, uh, yeah. So NXT, um, we'll revisit them in a few months, maybe, as as the way it's looking. And apparently that's the way everybody else feels, too. The ratings have never been worse. But anyway, so NXT we skipped. Um, the next WWE offering of the week was last night's SmackDown. And I don't take any pleasure in telling you that I watched some of this, but oh my God. Again, are they trying actively to run people off? It's just, it's a big joke. The show, everybody's laughing. The, the, the New Day came out to do an in-ring interview. They had the trombone. They're doing comedy routines. They bring Drew McIntyre out, and he's laughing and doing a promo. And the New Day gave Drew a gift box for his birthday, rainbow-colored gift box, and it turned out to be a colored kilt that also looked like it was 16 sizes too small for him, unless he was just going to put it on one leg. They do this business, and then here comes, do you know now what they're calling Seamus and Ridge Holland and their little friend Butch? The name of their faction? The Uh, name of their faction. I'm not sure I remember, no. The Brawling Brutes. That's a Vince. Yes, it is. And the the babyfaces even made fun of it. Yeah, that's really what they call themselves, the Brawling Brutes. And here come the Brawling Brutes. And there's three of them, and there's three New Day and Drew, and they get in a fight, and they go to the break. And when they come back from the break, Brian, you will never in a million years 
Guess what is about to happen. Did Adam Pierce make the match? No. They just had one. Six-man <laughs> tag. So 16 minutes into this two-hour show, they've gotten rid of the uh, they've gotten done with the interview and the setup and the break, and now they come back and they have a six-man tag. And Butch, little Butch beat Woods one, two, three. And by the time that was over, we were 28 minutes into this program for these six guys. Uh, we did a promo with Riddle and Shaky Nakamura and an Usos package, and they talked about Orton's injuries. <laughs> Again, we got no Roman Reigns. We got no Paul Heyman. We got no Randy Orton. And by the way, I also hate Riddle's snakeskin scuba suit. It, it looks like a suit that a scuba diver wears, but it's imitation snakeskin. So then Adam Pierce in his office is confronted while he's on the phone by our friend, formerly known as Eli Drake, formerly known as L.A. Knight. Guess what his name is now, Brian? I saw this somewhere. It's Max something, right? Max Dupree. He is the head of a male model agency, Maximum Male Models. He's a manager, and he's talking about all the great talent he's going to be bringing into. He was just on their fucking television on the USA Network challenging for the NXT title as a main event wrestler named L.A. Knight. And suddenly he moves from Tuesday to Friday in the same company. And he is a manager of maximum male models named Max Dupree. And they wonder why the people watching this do not give a French fried titty fuck what happens to anybody. Because it's all fucking phony. Both Darrens were never on the same episode of Bewitched, right? No, never. No. And you didn't see a picture of Dick York sitting on the Davenport or the Schiffer robe when Dick Sargent was in the room. No, Dick York was in the institution at that time, I think. Well, he had a bad back. He didn't go. He didn't go. Uh, Is that what mental, it was? As they say in the in the United Kingdom. No, he didn't. He he was terribly, terribly plagued with a horrible back to the point where he had to quit acting and quit working, and that's why they had to make the change. Why did I think he also had mental illness problems? I don't know. Did he have it later in life? I don't. Well, when he he was in ill health later in life and hooked up to oxygen and shit, as I recall, but I don't know if he. Huh. Okay. Went batshit fucking nuts along with it. I mean, I just figured if I could talk to anyone about Dick York, it's Jim Cornette. Well, I have no knowledge that he was ever accosted and wrapped into a rubber room at the Puzzle Factory. I have no knowledge of that. When I was a kid, one of the women I was in PTA with my mom, her grandfather was Sergeant York. Was that Dick's father? <laughs> it wasn't Dick's father. Hmm. Well, did he, did he know the Duchess, her cousin? Duchess of York? Yeah. I don't believe so. Well, you never know. Between the Dicks and the Duchesses, those York people. Anyway, all right. So, on SmackDown, a Cody and Seth package from Monday Night Raw. Raw has the best program. I don't mean 
television program, I mean the best wrestling angle, the program, the rivalry between Cody and Seth. Then we had a single match where, you know, they've got Los Lotharios, the tag team. There's Los and there's Jose, the Lotharios. Well, Jose of the Lotharios wrestled Jinder Mayhall. And Jinder Mayhall's stooge is the seven-foot guy that they've been hiding that we just said, why, why don't we see more of this fucking guy? He's seven feet, but he can move around, right? He's a giant, but he still looks like he's ambulatory. Come to find out, Skanky, the seven-footer, that's his name, by the way. Isn't it Skanky or Shanky? Shanky. 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 Well, Skanky, whatever. He's now a dancing fool. He dances like Elaine Bennis. Gender don't like it, but Skanky just, he can't, he can't stop the dancing. He can't stop the rhythm. Feats do your stuff. Do you think this was done to send a message to Matt Morgan that we could do worse to a giant? I don't know, because Morgan had more upside than Skanky does. That's true. And I think the stutter is probably worse than the dancing. But Jinder Mayhall beat uh, Jose Lothario, and then Skanky started dancing, and Jinder got mad and left, so Skanky got the girl ring announcer to, to get up and dance with him. So then... What's the audience for that? I mean, that's the question. I, I don't know what the... I don't know what any of this... It's like they're all on some type of hallucinogenic mushrooms, but at the same time, they used a, a chemical... Addictive uh, additive to the mushrooms that changed the hallucination factor into fever dreams. I don't know. So last week on the program, Shotzi Blackheart, Rebel roused up all the girls to go out and do whatever they were going to do, and then she got locked in the locker room. It shows her she's the last one to leave, and she can't get out the door. And then another girl was on the other side of the door with the key. So then. Ronda Rousey made an entrance for a six-pack challenge. The match that they wanted to have when uh, the gruesome twosome, Sasha Banks and Naomi, said, fuck you, and walked out. So this one was Raquel Gonzalez-Rodriguez versus Shotzi versus Aaliyah versus Shayna Baszler versus Zia Lee versus Natalia with Rousey on color. But here's the thing. They did three entrances. Well, they did two entrances, and then they played Aaliyah's music, but guess what? Aaliyah now is locked in the locker room and can't get out. And old Shotzi's laughing about it, because what's good for the... The one girl's good for the other girl. So the way that they showed this was... Aaliyah can't get out of the locker room and the cameraman with the television camera is locked in there with her and can't get out. And obviously nobody knows that they're locked in there because they just showed it on live TV. Because I bet you on the other side of that door within 10 or 15 feet in that busy arena, there's a lot of people that could just go over and open that door up. But there's no way to know that they were locked in there because they were just seen on national TV locked in there. So they went to the break, and then they came back and did three more entrances. 
And I don't know how long the entrances lasted, but I know that it was longer than the match because within five min minutes, Natalia won. Out of nowhere, I like Natalia, but she's the one that gets the shot at Rousey. Um, I don't know what they're doing with Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez because she's got potential. Uh, Lacey Evans, they did a package this time instead of just standing her up there like a hostage. Inspirational quotes, pictures of her in the military, pictures of her with her kids, more quotes of her telling the fans to wake up, work, and win. She's going to be here live next week. What a motivational speaker. What a what a, a paragon of, of pulchritude and resplendency and... She's just a she's a role model is what she is. Well, they definitely were pushing the idea that she's inspirational, the inspirational Lacey yes. Evans. So we'll find out if wrestling fans go for an inspirational baby face. It'll be interesting. She inspired me to hit the fast forward. Button. <laughs> and I got to Mosh Pit Jones, but I may have to take this one back. Because old Mosh Pit Jones, now that he's broken away from Happy Corbin, He's not wearing the goofy outfit. He's fucking ripped. He looks amazing. The physical condition he's in, the physique. He looks like a star now. He's wearing trunks and boots. The announcers were even apologizing, kind of, in the way that the WWE does for the, for the bad gimmick that he was doing. And But then it was a promo, and I thought, oh, shit, he's going to have to do the scripted delivery. It's not good material, but he was trying. So there, there may be something with this guy. He looks good and normal now is all I can. So I'm open. But then he called Happy Corbin out and Happy came out and tried to blow him off. But Pierce came out <laughs> and made the fucking match. And I would rather watch the former mosh pit versus someone other, anyone other than Happy Corbin. But luckily, this didn't last long either because Corbin sucker-punched Moss. <laughs> I guess that's his real last name, Moss. Moss comes back. He beats the shit out of Corbin. He gut-shots him with a chair and gets disqualified in 90 seconds. He hits him with two more chair shots. He throws the stairs in the ring, hits him with another chair shot. Here comes the agents and the referees, so at least they're listening about trying to separate people and make it look real. Now the problem is it happens four times in every show. So Corbin limps out after his ass kicking. And guess what Adam Pierce did, Brian? Did he make another match? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no holds barred. Oh, come on. Lazy booking. For Hell in a Cell this weekend, they've added three matches to their pay-per-view two days before the fucking thing takes place. Is that the new thing? That's what Tony Khan did with Double or Nothing also. And, I guess it's a thing that, because the same people are going to buy these shows re almost regardless of what is announced. If you announce Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar, you might see late ticket sales. Otherwise. I don't even know why they announce the matches anymore because nobody gives a shit about them in the WWE, especially. 
in AEW, you, the same people are going to buy it because they think that they're they're in love with the smell of their own farts. They can do no wrong. And in the WWE, I think their fans just buy it out of habit because nothing is interesting. And these people have got to have better things to do with their lives, but they they hold out hope it'll be good like it used to be. Or so, I don't know. I don't know what the thought process would be behind. Anyway, then after that, there's a brief interview next week on SmackDown for the Intercontinental title. It'd be Ricochet versus Gunther. And I hesitate to make predictions anymore in today's environment, but Jesus H. Christ on a cracker bet the farm on Gunther. Can you see, with especially with the push they've given him so far, can you see him in any way putting over a guy half his size that's a glorified fucking gymnast when they've got plans for Gunther as a star heel? Uh, so hopefully they'll get that belt on him quick because we need something else to watch on his program. And hopefully they keep the belt on him because it's about time we kind of make the Intercontinental belt mean something. Any any belt, any belt, put it on somebody and leave it and let them fucking run with it. Speaking of which, the last match was Riddle and Shaky against the Usos. They're, they're bridging this from Raw to SmackDown. We can't see enough of it on one show. That was the entire SmackDown television program, Mr. Last. It's terrible wrestling. I mean, remember a few weeks, no, probably a few months one of the listeners sent us a breakdown of each wrestling show, AEW and WWE, how many actual minutes of wrestling were on each show. And like SmackDown had something like 12 minutes or something. It was something ridiculous. <laughs> but when you run these shows down, there's no wrestling on them. Well, they try in AEW. They give us matches. I don't know if there's wrestling in them, but they give us matches. I was speaking specifically about WWE, that there's no well, wrestling I, on these shows. Yeah, no, in, in the WWE, no, that's the last thing they want to do is break into a match. So we get we get bad wrestling for the most part in AEW, and then we get our fix of the top guys who are actually interesting. And in the WWE, we get almost no matches, but it doesn't matter because everybody's boring as fuck. <sighs> you know... Sometimes I just want to go outside, Brian, uh -oh. and just sit in a chair and just stare at my front yard. That's what I want to do sometimes. Well, lots of people take pride in their lawn, and a lot of people want to sit outside, especially in this weather, and enjoy their prideful lawn, of course. Yes, and it doesn't even have to be a weekend. It could be any day, but it's especially nice on Sunday when you got the Sunday lawn. You know, on Sunday, the living is easy. And everything, you slow down and you take a look and you smell the roses and you take a breath and you hug your loved ones and you look around at your lawn and all out in the front of your yard, you got bare spots, you got brown spots, you got weeds, you got, uh, Brian, I know you, you've got four kids there. So you've got to have a lot of bare spots because when you send the kids out to piss or shit on the front lawn. That's not, that's not what we do. Our bare spots are actually caused by bears. Well, I know you got bears up there, but the bears, the bear spots, that's for the bears to go to. We're talking about the spots where there's no grass growing. Right, where the and bear that, ripped up the grass. Well, no, bears don't rip up grass. That's what the kids are doing when they're shitting and pissing on the lawn. The kids are not doing that on the lawn, at least not here. 
Well, I've had in the past, I've rounded up some neighborhood kids and asked them to piss and shit on the lawn because what? I figured that was, well, I figured that was fertilizer. What? You got some poop what? and you got all those chemicals that you find in excrement and in urine. And I figured, well, that's a natural way to fertilize things. So I grab a <laughs> half a dozen of these neighborhood kids, a little crumb snatching rug rats, and I say, hey, you want to make a dime? The leader can make a quarter. Go drop your pants and drop a deuce right on my front lawn. And you two, you go around back and pull out your little winky hoses and spray the backyard. I thought that would work. It didn't work. The grass just got every time Harley Quinn wanted to go out there and lay around. She was constantly dodging, you know, the, 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 the turds from the children. That's a big problem if you got kids. Turds on your lawn. But folks, again... Whether you've got weeds or you got bare spots or you got the kid spots that you get when kids do what kids do on your lawn, the folks at Sunday can help you solve all those problems and more the easy way because they got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control. It's all delivered to your door. And just don't let the neighborhood kids in there because they'll get mad that their job is being taken away and they'll start pissing and shitting on your front porch. Folks, when you go to Sunday, that's, and by the way, it's GetSunday.com. That's how you get them. You go to the website, GetSunday.com. Sunday spelled just like the day of the week. When you go to Get Sunday, you put your address in, and the lawn analysis tool does the rest of everything. They prepare all the soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan for you that you will then have delivered to your door right when you need it. And of course, depending on where you live, I mean, if you live in the Antarctic or certain spots in the Isle of Malta, this might not work, but most places in habitable environs on the planet Earth, this stuff will work just fine. They use ingredients that you can feel good about instead of all the chemicals and the additives and the preservatives and all those things that you can't even pronounce. There's good stuff in this mixture like seaweed and molasses. And I'll tell you what, seaweed and molasses with a little whipped cream and some marshmallows, boy, you just go take a fork out, sit cross-legged in the backyard, and just go to town. There's also iron in these Sunday lawn products. So you got to be careful because keep your lawnmower blades sharp. You won't be able to cut those iron blades of grass unless you've got really sharp lawnmower blades. And then they become like little tiny needle projectiles. That'll just be flung at your neighbors at a high rate of speed and they'll pierce their, their skin and their organs. And well, that makes a mess that Sunday lawn care also can take care of, but that's a completely different no, that's, department. I don't know. We shouldn't be talking about any of this. Well, they've got this quick lime stuff. If you have a corpse to get rid of, you just dig a shallow hole, prepare the hole and you put the corpse in there. And then you just get that. The Sunday lawn also has a corpse analysis tool. No, they it don't. It uses soil no, and climate data <laughs> from whatever part of the world tool. you're in. <laughs> because then it'll determine exactly how oh. you can decompose that rotting corpse at an optimum uh, amount of time. And you pour the stuff in over the top of it on the hole and, and then just cover it in. And nobody will ever know it's there until... Years from now, when somebody else lives there and they go to put in a garden, they dig up those bones and then they call the police and oh then there's a God. DNA thing. But 
The Sunday lawn care products will also change DNA in corpses. No, it won't. We can stop adding things to this. Easy identification. <laughs> I thought you were actually going to go back to the plug, and instead you keep going with this. Well, I'm just trying DNA. to tell you all the good things about Sunday lawn. <laughs> Folks, again, full season plans. Not even involving any dead bodies. Just good green grass. Start at just $129. You get 20% off of that. When you visit GetSunday.com slash JCE at checkout, 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash JCE. Your pets will be happy. Your kids will be happy. Your lawn will be green. All of the bodies that you want to bury will be decomposed and unable to be found by the FBI. You got everything going for you. Every day is Sunday at GetSunday.com slash jce i didn't think it would get any worse than the children pissing and urinating well pissing is urinating but urinating and defecating on your yard but then you went <laughs> with the corpses turned into poltergeists ah, you know and that's another thing if you're on an indian <laughs> burial ground <Stop. laughs> sunday can't help you with that you gotta have you gotta go to to the county seat or potentially the state government and get a special permit to not only to excavate the remains of the Indian burial ground, but then also to relocate them somewhere else. And did you know that it's illegal in 14 states, including Oklahoma, for a dog to piss in a cemetery? I don't even know if you're being serious or not. So no, I did not know that. I'm, well, that's good because I'm not being serious. So All right. Say, who are they going to ticket, the dog? Well, no, they'll come after the living relatives. <laughs> They certainly will. <laughs> Let your All dog right. in the goddamn cemetery. You never know what might happen. You know, the thing about those cemeteries, that that's a lot of ground. That's a lot of real estate. Values going up because people are just dying to get in there. Two things before we wrap things up. Once again, we want to remind everyone, Get Sunday is a fantastic, or Sunday Lawn is a fantastic sponsor. Support them. Check them out because they support us. And secondly, yeah. I want to make a correction. You were right about Dick York. It was nothing to do with mental illness. It was drug, uh -huh. drug addiction due to painkiller usage from back pain, a spinal issue, and yep. then later on he developed other issues due to smoking. There you go. But he wasn't crazy. Wasn't crazy. Had that going for him. That was Dr. Bombay. Emergency, emergency, come right away. All right. But speaking of doctors and emergencies, should we get into some AEW now? I think that's all that's left, yeah. Uh, that's all that's left. Well, and in that case... God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. Every time they dangle the carrot, but we get the stick. They dangle the shit we want to see, and then for one reason or another, it does not materialize or matriculate over to us. Brian Danielson was the best wrestler in the world. Single heel, capable of being the world champion. They put him in a babyface group of garbage wrestlers. We finally get the world title belt off of hang up Adam Page. It's because every time he calls people on the phone, they find out it's him. They hang up on him. And on to CM Punk, and that lasts three days, and he hurts himself in a TV match. They're snake bit. Again, as I've mentioned, there's Vince McMahon and everybody in the WWE trying to hand this thing to here. Take this silver platter with the 
victory spot in the wrestling war. We want to, you to win this. We want to give you talent. We're running our talent off and into your waiting arms. We are doing the most boring television that we've ever produced in the 50 years this company's been around. We are begging you to win this thing, and they still can't do it. So now and we're going to talk about MJF being a genius and brilliant, but we don't know when we're going to see him as all these things play out. And now Punk has just announced on the Rampage last night he was injured on Wednesday night. I guess now it's a foot. I thought it might be the knee, but it's apparently his foot. And I believe, I don't know this for sure, but I believe he did it when he tagged in and did the springboard, was going to come in to start his comeback with a springboard, and one foot slipped off the rope when he landed. He landed on his feet hard and started a punching comeback, so he saved it. He didn't go down. But I've got to think that's when he did it because that was an odd movement that primarily caused him to land on his left foot, and he was limping on his left leg. When he came out later in the night, and this wasn't on TV, this was some of the fan footage during the MJF segment, Punk came out seemingly to talk to MJF while all this was going on, and he had a noticeable limp at that point. Yeah, and so he's going to need surgery. He's not... Jericho couldn't get it straight on Rampage. He didn't relinquish the belt. They're doing the interim champion thing. So Punk is still the AEW champion, but while he's out of action with an injury, they're going to crown an interim champion. They're going to have a battle royal next Wednesday on Dynamite. Those always work. Everybody loves to be in them. The fans love to see them. They draw great ratings. Can you hear the sarcasm in my voice on all those things? And the winner of the battle royal will fight Moxley. And the winner of that will go to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view and fight somebody from Japan. And that person will be the interim champion. Uh, the battle royal thing is so over... Does anybody ever want to see a battle royal anymore unless it's a Royal Rumble? Which is kind of not even a battle royal, which is what makes it good. I don't think so. The battle royal itself hasn't been a draw in forever. And when you see it on TV... I think a lot of wrestling fans instantly groan, especially mm. when it's a battle royal where the results of the battle royal, which is a gimmick match, lead to something that's more important. The Mad Hatter, Tony Khan, but it, this is his opportunity. He can go from the outhouse to the penthouse. He can turn chicken shit into chicken salad, whatever simile you'd like to express Danielson. Danielson wins the battle royal. Danielson beats Moxley. We can't have that belt on Moxley again. That would be just repugnant. Danielson wins the battle royal. Danielson beats Moxley. Danielson goes to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Danielson can work with all the Japanese guys. That's his wheelhouse. And have a good match with whoever the New Japan guy is. And Danielson can be the champion. And then, however long... Punk's surgery recuperation is then when he comes back the real champion versus the interim champion and you got CM Punk versus Brian Daniels that's the only way I can see that Tony can make up for the letdown and it's not Punk's fault 
everybody gets hurt. The timing was impeccable here, as it usually is with anything like this. But it, they've just crowned Punk champion. And now somebody's got to follow this for the next couple of months or however long it's been. Can anybody on that roster do it but Danielson? Let me throw a few names at you. And I'm not saying I would pick them, but just thinking of top names there, people have been used as top names there. You wouldn't put the belt back on Adam Page right now. It doesn't feel right in any way. No. Good God, no. Jesus. If Omega was ready to come back, would you do Omega? Not you. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about <laughs> you and your fans, but Omega, but he's a former world champion there. He's been gone a while. It's a way to have him come back and make a splash. If, if you were to have him and Punk do a match. If Omega was ready, I would have made, I would have put him in the Moxley spot and had him be the last guy that, whoever my next champion is beats on the way to the forbidden door pay-per-view to win the title. And you said you wouldn't do Moxley already. And I agree with you on that. Well, yeah, he's, he's besides fact, he's already had it. He wasn't very good to begin with. He's still not very good. And Jesus Christ, we'd have to see more of him. So for all those reasons, no. Um, and like you said, you know, twinkle toes ain't ready, but even if he was, he's had it also. And the bar has been set a little higher now. We just had CM Punk for three days. We're going to back up and go to the indie-rific crowd, or are we going to go with another talented star, Brian Danielson? If the whole thing wasn't going on with MJF, that would be a heat-seeking missile for some way to him manipulate himself into winning this battle royal and doing whatever and having that belt for when Punk came back. But since he's otherwise occupied, I think Danielson's the only way to go. To be fair, we don't really know anything. We don't know how long Punk's going to be out. We don't know if he's going to be around. I mean, one of the things, and I hate to say it this way, because I want to see Punk wrestle, and his promos have been just impeccable, but he's probably my favorite commentator they have there. Is this a way to get him on commentary while he's out and have him get guys over by talking about them better than Excalibur, (laughs) Tony, and Jim Ross do? I wouldn't I wouldn't put him on there now and have him on there for a period of time. Once they get a set idea of how long he'll probably be out, then I would bring him in to do that intermittently and maybe steadily for the last three or four weeks so that he could get into an interaction with whoever he's going to be fighting and when he's back in the ring and maybe even before we know he's ready to come back, if he was an announcer and he had an interaction with a guy and fuck it, he's going to ignore doctor's orders and do the old thing where, you know, I know I can, I can take care of him. I've got to do this. It's, it's personal or whatever. And come back early, quote unquote, that might be something. I wouldn't just put him out there. If it's going to be four months, I wouldn't put him out there every week because, you know, the one good thing about this is now they got a second chance at not devaluing his wrestling appearances just for the sake of it, where he wrestles everybody just because they need ratings. If he's injured, he can't wrestle. They can have updates. They can have taped promos, maybe a live appearance or two, but I would leave him, I'd leave him off TV for a while to get the bloom back on the rose and get the fresh back. So now that the, how can I miss you? If you won't go away, he's going away. Now let's create the longing for him to really come back. They already want him to come back. Let's really 
capitalize on that. So the more you seem, the less, you know, in, unless it's, uh, like I said, focused on an angle toward the end that's going to get him back in the ring with somebody, the more you see him regularly, the less impact his return is going to have. Because how can he return if he's never really been away? They did it with Austin when a couple of times when he was injured, found different ways to have him still show up on the program, being suspended, running in and attacking somebody, the beer truck, whatever the fucking case. But that's hard to do, and also it was a unique time and a unique person, and everybody's so smart now, would they think, well, they're trying to do the old Austin shit with Punk. They He can't wrestle, but they've still got him on TV doing something every week. See, remember, we never told anybody Austin was hurt. The people then didn't know he was not wrestling because he was hurt and injured. They just thought he's doing all these crazy things because he's Steve fucking Austin. So that got him over more than if he'd been healthy and wrestling every week, but that's hard to pull off. It's a very gimmick-specific thing for a certain kind of guy, and people have kind of got smart to it now, and they already know he's hurt. And we also, so, and again, we don't know if it's three months or six months. Or six weeks or whatever. If it... it, it makes me feel better it's a foot instead of a knee. And when I heard that he said something was broken and needed surgery, well, you don't usually break shit in your knee that needs surgery. And that could be a bit, he can come back. I mean, I've, yeah, people, Kerry Von Erich had his foot amputated. People can have catastrophic injuries on a foot, but you can come back as an athlete, as a wrestler, from a foot injury where you're still ambulatory, even if it's painful, a lot easier than a knee. A knee affects your your in-ring game going forward, even after it's healed in ways that you can't predict. So uh, at least yeah. it shouldn't be really long and it shouldn't be really bad, but it's not great timing. Hey, let me ask you something. And, you know, I am happy about the fact that CM Punk is the one guy that seems to be able to tell a story in the ring based around injuries and body parts. So whatever does happen in the future, if it happens during a match, he'll make it work. But traditionally in wrestling history, or at least here in the Northeast, if you didn't defend your title within 30 days, you were stripped of the title. Tony Khan started doing the interim champion thing a little while back. He did it with the TNT title with Cody and uh, Sammy, I believe. Do you agree with the idea of doing interim champions as opposed to stripping a guy if he's not defending within 30 days? Well, the 30-day thing was the standard rule everywhere years ago in the territories and for the NWA title. And, I mean, that's probably the one rule that all the fans knew by heart above any other. Champion must defend the title every 30 days. And they would work angles around it. Well, it's only been 28 days or whatever. I don't have to do the blah, blah, blah. That's all gone by the wayside. It hadn't been talked about in ages. And especially after the pandemic, and then you had Brock Lesnar was the WWF champion and only worked three days a year, whatever. If you started going back to that now, although it is reasonable and, you know, is another one of those rules you can make something out of, would people ever, ever even still pick up on it to this point? And the problem is... <sighs> If it was going to be less than the, the, to your question, the interim champion, if it was going to be less than six or eight weeks, 
I wouldn't have done it. I would have just announced that Punk is injured and Tony Khan, because he's the new champion, has given him special dispensation not to have to defend for six weeks or whatever and have a heel come out and bitch about it. And maybe that way you could have at least reestablished the idea that that rule was there. If it's going to be three or four months, yeah. Then not only do you have... You have somebody to defend the belt, not that people are going to take that real seriously because they're still going to think Punk's the champion, but then you can start building for the return of the real champion, and that should be the first person he fights, is the interim champion. So... If you've got three months, four months, pile all the heat on that. That's why I say Danielson needs to be a heel, needs to be a good talker, needs to be a guy who can work with anybody. Well, you've just narrowed down the entire AEW roster to practically nil when you just say those three things. And that could be one of the biggest matches they've ever presented. From day one, that's what we said. From day one of AEW, we said the biggest match you can get with people who are potential free agents or anything else would be CM Punk versus Brian Danielson, because that's when we didn't know what he was going to do with WWE. That's what we always yeah. said was the biggest match, and it still is. And what was the biggest match in WWE uh, just a few months ago was Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the undisputed title. We're going to re uh, reunite. We're going to unite these championships one champion that's what everybody wants the fans want so now AEW gets a chance to create their own situation but if they do some bullshit like let's elevate daniel garcia he can be the interim champion well then they've just shot themselves in the foot and they might as well go back to bed it needs to be somebody on a marquee that people will pay to see against cm punk and three months to heat it up rather than get a guy over from scratch. That's my comment. I wonder if Punk's going to be healthy and back by the time, I guess it would be early fall when Tony runs the stadium show in Queens. Because that would be a place to Ooh. do a Punk versus Danielson match. Well, what's early fall? What, what month is that? Did they do it in September or October last year? I think it was September. Well, let's see, June, July, August, September, three to four months. We yeah, shall la see. Last year it was September 22nd, so that's why I said it could be the end of September, early October. Maybe I'll get a birthday present in September. Punk will come back to wrestle. Anyway, let's talk about this Wednesday night program that the bloom is off the rose now a bit because of, again, it was schizophrenic. And I honestly, they're in the L.A. Forum. They got 15,000 people there. It's their West Coast debut. The first, again, what was it, hour not even of the show, brilliant. And then they just said, ah, fuck it. We've, we've done all we can do now. Let's just not even give a shit by the end of the program. But this followed up double or nothing. That was on Sunday. This is Wednesday night, June the 1st. And the first thing you see to keep the lead in audience, Lack Mussolini! the new world champion he even pulled out a ramp dive because it was los angeles right off the ramp into the crowd that may have and been the, where he hurt his leg no he didn't hurt his foot there they caught him did he hit the barricade with it i sincerely do not think that he jumped off the ramp hit the barricade and then hid his severe limp for the rest of this match 
but that's what you got the punk chance. You got a big crowd in a major building in a major city. You're playing real music, living color. And then you segue to the FTR music and they get a pop from those people and they come out looking like athletes and it makes them seem like they're on punk's level because it's rolling. And Jim Ross says, if I had an old time, old school wrestling territory, those three would always have work because everybody that knows what wrestling is respects these guys. And then you've got the music and here comes Max Caster and the gun club. And there's not a lot of name value there star power but they look good they look like athletes caster did a great rap you're gonna pay like amber heard or whatever the fuck he's tremendous he's really he is, really good i don't know about bowen's being in the wheelchair being pushed by billy gunn that's an <laughs> element of silliness well he is hurt well yeah but st but anyway but they have a six-man tag, Punk and FTR, that was going to be the start of probably a lot more of this because Punk obviously wants to align himself with Dax and Cash, who he can see, everybody can see, are the two best in-ring workers in the company, maybe in all of the business at this point. And I've mentioned Caster's a little green with his physical abilities, but he's got the great rap, but the guns... Austin and Colton, they get it. They get, they're already really good. They're going to be great. I see Kurt Hennig-like potential in Austin Gunn. Maybe both Kurt of them. Kurt Hennig? Really? I'm telling you. Think about, did you remember what Kurt Hennig looked like in, what was it, 1982 when he was a rookie, when he was about as big around as maybe fucking Darby Allen is now, and he had the curly hair and the nice grin, and you could tell that he he could sense how to move around in the ring. And he worked hard, but he was still a little green. Austin Gunn, I, I see them both, really. They, they have the potential. They work their asses off, but they're understanding what this is about. It's not about acting like a silly goose and letting everybody laugh along with you as a heel, you may be acting a little silly, but you feel like you mean it. And the people hoot at you for it. And the smoothness already, I don't know how long they've been working, probably trained with their dad quite a bit. They haven't worked in front of a ton of people last two years with the pandemic. I see the capability. They get this. Colton, if you're listening, on your when some guy ducks your clothesline, watch the up and over. You couldn't hit Andre. If he don't duck, knock him the fuck out instead of you looking stupid. But I, I, I love this team. In two, three years, I want to see the gun boys. I think they're going to be fantastic. I don't disagree with you, but, you know, Kurt Hennig is a elite wrestler. That's why it Stuck out a little bit. I haven't seen that well, yet. Yes. You're better at evaluating talent, obviously. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying in, in three months he's going to be the same as Kurt was after he'd been in business 10 years. I'm saying I see that naturalness, the taking to it. He feels it. He can move around. He's animated. And uh, this match, they had a babyface team and a heel team. All the work was solid. They had star power involved. This is a wrestling show. Like I said, they're in a big building, great music, and fans are hot, and they're taking to this. 
and the stars look good. And it looks like, and it sounds like a wrestling match. I mentioned the sound of the real ring that they use rather than Kevin Dunn's monkey shines in the, you know, in the marshmallow pit of the WWE. It was nice that the baby faces, uh, FTR, do the old Midnight Express power slam off the turnbuckle on Caster. When they were doing their research, they brought that. Nobody does that anymore. It'd be a good one to bring back. Um, the heels cheated in the heat. Amazingly enough, you could actually tell who the heels were. Why is Jim Ross's microphone so much lower than the other announcers? Do you notice that? In terms of the volume? In terms of the volume. I can hear the other announcers more plainly and clearly and loudly, and JR's turned down and in the mix. Well, I also don't think he speaks as loudly as they do. Well, that's another reason now to turn him up. Again, I love the the guns. Oh, that they did a flapjack, too, on the flapjack. Boys, you got to square up side by side better. Don't get too fancy. I can't remember who was on the right-hand side, but the guy on the right-hand side grabbed the fucking babyface's leg with his left arm and just threw his right arm out in the fucking air like he's a ballet dancer. Grab the guy's leg with both hands. Give him some support. You got to be side-by-side because the guy that's going up wants to be able to boost himself and post off of both of your shoulders in the middle with both hands. I think Dax took it. And Dax probably tell you the same thing if he didn't already when he came back to the locker room. You got to square up side by side and take the bump backwards at the same time. Work on going back together. Because it's dodgy when one guy is taking the bump backwards, the other's still standing up. Dax started going sideways. And if it had been a more pronounced difference, he could have gone straight down sideways on his shoulder. So just square up side by side a little better. Give the guy some support and work on taking the bump together. But what do I know? I just invented it. So they go to the break. They come back. They got the heat going on Dax. They give a hot tag to Punk. And this is where I think it happened. Punk went for the springboard off the top rope to come in and make his comeback. And one foot slipped off the top rope and he went down in the ring hard. Uh, he landed on his feet, didn't go down, but started a punching comeback. But if that, if that was a place that I was looking for one of his, his left foot to take some abuse, that would have been my pick because he came down on it awful hard. So save that. And then here's one thing. I think it was Colton. I'm pretty sure it was Colton. Like I said, the guns are green. Colton, Punk is making his comeback. He wants to throw a drop kick. And if you go back and watch the tape, Colton's coming toward him, so he gives Colton the double hand in the chest, like, stop right there. And he goes for the drop kick, but Colton misinterpreted stop right there as a double hand shove. And he started taking the bump and fell before the drop kick. So poor Punk. This was not his shining moment. I don't think anybody's going to get too far on his ass because he got hurt for it. But then they brought FTR in to come back, and then Punk went to the top and did the right to the hard camera, I'm sorry, and did the big elbow off the top, and that looked good. Called for the GTS. Billy got up. Punk got Austin and power-bombed him into Billy. 
and then hit the go to sleep and Austin staggered into FTR's big rig finish one, two, three. And again, a wrestling match on a, on a wrestling show. So refreshing heels and baby faces, right? People won. Everybody was serious and uh, you know, you couldn't really have started much better than that. And then punk stayed in the ring for the promo and did say, I know I got to get better. That's the one thing about it. He's not going to do a Jericho and just go out there and act like that his diarrhea doesn't smell. If he fucks up, he'll tell the people in such a way that he he's aware that he fucked up. And he's trying to, and you can't really argue with that. And then Dax did a promo and recognized his wife and daughter in the crowd and said some other stuff about some stuff that I have probably missed because I didn't understand what he was saying. I'll let you chime in in a second. But then Punk plugged the forbidden door and wanted to know who he's got, and out comes Tanahashi. And everybody in the building knew who he was. I know, again, they are they are appealing to the audience that knows who the New Japan guys are with a forbidden door pay-per-view. So we understand that nobody in the United States knows who this fucking guy is, and people watching... TBS or TNT are going, you know, what the fuck, unless they're fans. But how do all 15,000 people in the forum in Los Angeles know who Tanahashi is when New Japan Pro Wrestling is on television in the United States and doesn't do 100,000 viewers in the whole country? They know, but they just don't watch. How do we reconcile? What's going on there, Brian? I don't know. And clearly the people who attend an AEW event, by and large, are the people who would identify a wrestler right away based on music or image. If they wrestle in Japan or on the indies, that's the audience that recognizes them. The people at home probably need to have it explained to them who this man with, as Howard Baum once put it, Joy Behar's hair. Who is this man? <laughs> and the announcers did, you know, say who it was and et cetera. But I'm just, that brings up, he got a big pop in Los Angeles. There's 15,000 people in the building. But their television program is on nationwide cable on access and doesn't get 100,000 people in the whole country. So how? Why are those people not watching? Is it still on access? I'm pretty sure it didn't. They took it off when Anthem bought access to save the zombie promotion, right? But uh, now they put it back on. I don't know. Well, there you go. And anyway. What does that tell you? We don't even know if New Japan's on TV here. Well, I know it is. I just don't watch it. So at least I'm a little bit more informed than you are because you haven't had your coffee yet. Well, you had your, your brief coffee. I'm brev. I'm drinking it now. I'm on the second yeah. one now. Well, brevity is the soul of wit. <laughs> Speaking of wits. Hey, can I say one thing? Your wits. Yes, please do. It's an interesting moment at the end of the match when you have Punk standing there holding the belt up and you have FTR next to him holding their belts up. And I was watching that thinking, man, this is pretty cool. Here are the world champion and tag team champions. And it took me a second to remember they're not the tag team champions. They're the ring of honor tag team yeah, champions. Yeah, they're the ring of honor tag team champions. They're just a better tag team than the AEW world tag team champions who are 
fifth best team in the company. And this may be something to pay attention to going forward, the different camps and what's happening, because obviously we've always talked about the fact that the Bucks and their people are always doing their own thing. And finally, we have main eventers doing something else. But I just read the other day in The Observer that the Bucks saved Colt Cabana's job. And I think that was a very, very interesting thing there. Because like many people, when CM Punk got there, my first thought was, oh, Colt Cabana's gone. He screwed over CM Punk. CM Punk's not going to forget that. The Bucks saved his job. So I think that's a story to keep an eye on for the future. The two different camps, at least those two different camps, and if they ever interact at all. But what did Punk say when he, before he even came back to AEW, when he was talking about the WWE, he said, I don't want to be another guy going, doing bad television. That's right. So he, that's why he's had zero interaction on AEW television with the Hardly Boys, the Cucamonga Kids, the whole, their whole social circle, the Brandon Cutlet, and at least they got rid of that the fucking baby oil idiot. Knock a knock a knock it to fuck off. We haven't seen him yeah. in a while. You know why? He's Omega's assistant. And Omega's not there. <laughs> Remember we did that story a while back? He was actually Omega's That's right. assistant. That's right. He needs an assistant. He can't fuck up well enough on his own. He needs an <laughs> assistant to fuck up. But anyway, Punk has had no interaction with them because they do bad television and clowny cartoon outlaw indie wrestling. So Punk has now aligned himself with, as we mentioned, the best tag team in the company and two of the best in-ring performers. I'm sure he wants to work with some more of them. He already mentioned Brian Danielson. He wants to do good television, not bad television. The other guys don't care if the television they're on is bad as long as they're on it. And he's been doing good television. I think CM Punk's having a legendary year. I hate to bring Bret Hart into the conversation, but my favorite year any single wrestler ever had is probably Bret Hart from Survivor Series 96 to Survivor Series 97. Punk, other than the page match, the page match is probably my least favorite punk match in AEW so far. Other than that, his matches have been good. They've been telling a story. His promos are excellent. Everything he's been doing on this show has been a home run. That's one of the main reasons I don't want him to go away. And I understand everything you said is right about why you would want him to go away. But he's got such a high batting average right now and everything. That's why I think on commentary, because he's the best commentator they have there, and he's not even being used that way. I don't know. I hate to have him off the show. He's one of the few wrestlers I have faith in right now. To paraphrase what I told Joe Coff one time, he can pop the corn too, Tony, but let's prioritize. But there's another corn popper out there that gets so much heat, he can pop the corn. Uh, MJF. And let's go ahead. That, that's what came next, and everybody was talking about it. Can, how do we even recap all of this strife and drama and et cetera? We've talked about for weeks that it's been known that MJF has been upset at the deal that he's under when he's been, obviously, the really the only, well, Wardlow is now is breaking out, but MJF has been the only homegrown guy that didn't have national television exposure before AEW that has all of a sudden started making a difference. He's the only one of the four pillars that actually makes any difference. That actually holds anything up. Yeah. Actually holds anything up. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So he's been unhappy with his deal and there's been strife and conversation between him and Tony Khan and and everybody was before double or nothing. Is he going to show up? Is he flying out? Is he walking out? What's going to go on? He showed up. 
They got the match in. He was carried out on a stretcher, and then the the word was you probably won't see MJF for a while. And then they said, wait a minute, we're going to see MJF on Wednesday night at Dynamite. Well, the other he, the only other thing ahead. you're missing is word had gotten out, and again, a lot of things were said over the last few days, including plane tickets, and other people said there were no plane tickets, and other people said it wasn't his real <laughs> name on the plane ticket. All these things, but word got out that he was going to sit down and meet with Tony on Tuesday. And that was the last thing really anyone heard before the announcement on Wednesday that he was going to be on the show. And so one would have thought from that announcement, well, I guess they worked everything out. But maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't. Because here comes MJF, the music, he makes his entrance, and he's got the game face on, and he cuts his own music. Cuts my, cut my music. And the people are already booing him. And it was actually better that you didn't hear the music when he was walking to the ring because you heard the people booing and you saw the people giving him the finger and it's, he's getting a reaction. A lot of these guys, when they come to the ring, if they didn't have music playing, you could hear the crickets and the fans are already going, shut the fuck up. But he started the promo and, and you could tell it was going to go South in a hurry because he started with, Boy, all the new TV executives here, the new network, it's a be a shame if something bad happened, Tony, on your show. And then he hijacked the ring. And I'm not going to recount his promo. Everybody should see this. Everybody should go back and watch it, listen to it. But it was a heel promo and a shoot promo. That's, and we're going to talk about what shoot promos are or aren't, what people think they are. It was real. He's mad about this shit, and he's expressing his real opinion. And he turned on the fans that were clapping for him, calling them uneducated marks. You don't know shit. Your opinions suck. And then he got into, and honestly, I heard from you before I saw this promo that old Uncle David said, oh, but when he gets into the cornet material, knocking the company, people will, they'll view the company as minor league. And I'm like, what in the world did he say? And what he said was when he was knocking the fans and the know-it-all fans, he said, I'm not an untrained dipshit or whatever. Like all your favorites, I don't dump my opponents on their heads. I'm the only guy that makes you feel, and I don't have to do bullshit to get you there. There was... Is Uncle Dave so blindfolded and brainwashed or so stubborn and obstinate that he cannot admit things that he honestly thinks that it's worse for MJF to reference those things in one of the greatest promos ever given in the history of wrestling he thinks it's worse that he referenced those things than people have been looking at those things on the television program for the past three years for the, with their own eyes? Why did he think that some of the people cheered when MJF said that? A shoot in wrestling is a real fight or contest. If you're having a shoot match, that means there's no predetermination. You're both going for it. No fucking cooperation. That's a shoot in a physical sense. 
when you're cutting a promo and people say it's, that's a shoot promo, that means you are telling the truth. You're not lying. You're not working. You're not, in some cases, both can be true. You're working in that the things you are saying are going to increase interest in the situation you're trying to increase interest in, but the things that you are saying are true. And everything that MJF said in this promo was true. And the people know it to be true. They know he's been pissed off. They know that he's gone back and forth with Tony Khan. They know that AEW as a company is known for bringing in the outlaw guys that haven't been trained properly and they drop people on their heads constantly because we see it every week. And that makes people believe that what MJF is doing is a shoot. Now, what he's saying may be a shoot. It may all be truth. That's it, it, There was not one word he uttered that anybody except Uncle Dave could take issue with is all true, all demonstrably, verifiably true. What were his motivations for saying that? Was that a shoot? Now, were his motivations to placate Tony Khan, think everything was okay, and then get out there and unload on Tony because MJF knows he's got a place to land one way or the other? Did MJF talk Tony Khan into working with him and allowing him to do this? But did Tony Khan know how far he was going to go when he said, fire me, fire me, I dare you to fire me, you fucking mark? Did he? Did Tony Khan know that he was going to say, save all the money, hoard all your money, Tony, to give it to all the ex-WWE guys that you keep bringing in that can't lace my goddamn boots? Big ooh from the people. Because it's true. <laughs> Who? Malachi Black? As valuable as MJF? Adam Cole? The way they've wasted him? Everybody from the WWE directly. Sad Danielson had a little break there, but everybody that came directly was more over the first night into AEW than they are now. And MJF's been the opposite. He's gotten over on his own because there was no booker to help him. So this is the first ever shoot promo that worked both ways. It was all true. And it could work as either MJF's final fuck you to Tony Khan on television, on his own network, or it could be something that they're engaged in together or it can be a little of both and tony doesn't know how much but the sh the shoot promo normally would not have been a shoot because the heel would had no real animosity toward the baby face that he was talking about but in this case that's a shoot too because mjf is mad at tony khan and doesn't care whether everybody knows it. So, he told Tony he ought to be behind the rail with the fucking fans, which, is he the first or maybe the 7,000th person to say that? So, again, this guy 
has created this situation. I'm sure he would have been happy to get a big raise and go on doing his business, but since he didn't, he's brought this in, but everybody's talking about MJF. He put Wardlow over like a million dollars in that program and at the pay-per-view, 10 power bombs, stretchered out for the guy, and Wardlow's not only more over than he was going into it because he did what he said he was going to do and broke free from MJF, but MJF now is more over after getting beaten flat in the middle of the ring and carried out on a stretcher, he's hotter now than he's ever been. MJF is a genius. MJF is a once-in-a-generation performer. And Tony Khan is one of the worst amateur bookers I've ever seen who has been blessed with this guy that's able to get himself over no matter what. And Uncle Dave thinks it's dangerous to say... Those things, because the fans will see the company as minor league. They've been seeing those things for three years on the television program that they've been putting on on purpose, Dave. If they haven't picked up on it by now, I don't think MJF is going to talk them into it. Brian, has there been any... Can you... Do you think anybody has not been able to see... What's gone on with that program over the last three years? Indie guys, untrained guys, the Maki Edos of the world, the clown show. Is MJF breaking new ground or is he saying just what everybody's been thinking? He's saying what a lot of us have been saying. He's saying what a lot of the wrestlers say. He's saying a lot of the things that I'm sure he would probably want to say based on the things he was previously forced to be involved with with Chris Jericho on that show. Yeah, oh, and by the way, it didn't hurt the program when MJF was involved in a fucking song and dance routine with Jarrah Bloat. That didn't hurt anything. But when MJF comes out and fucking sells tickets by the fistful to see whatever the fuck he's going to do next, that might hurt the company. Because we've actually told people out loud what they've been looking at on their video screen for three years, that Tony's a rotten booker and most of these guys shouldn't have got a job. But again, when you criticize that, you're criticizing the guys that Dave Meltzer championed, the guys that he has justified and pushed, the guys that he has given good star ratings to, even when he said he didn't like the match. All of a sudden, there's a new standard for it. So when you criticize a lot of these things, in a way, you're criticizing what he stands for. So I can understand why you would be upset with it somewhat, especially when he said MJF's using Jim Cornette's material, which is funny because Dave's used Omega and the Bucks material about you in the past. I'm a shock jock. When he started right. calling you a shock jock, that came from the yeah. Bucks. So give me a break. Uh, at least we use the material of the talented people. So after that, obviously, fire me, fire me, fire me, you fucking Mark. They cut the microphone and he gives it to, hey, the mic's dead. And then they go to black. And when they came back, it was talking about Punk and Tanahashi from earlier. No mention of MJF and shouldn't have been. If he went too far, you wouldn't. Oh, we're sorry about all the things that he said uh, before the break. If you missed it, we'll say them all again. You wouldn't do that. Miro is back. Wait, can I say Our something? Miro, Miro. Go ahead. Say what you want to say. With the MJF thing, because a lot happened over just a few days. There is something here that is brilliant, and no one could put their finger on exactly what. We don't know what's a shoot and what isn't. We don't know when whatever the shoot is, what it's, when it started. We don't know who's in on what. We don't know what's going to happen next. 
This has led to nothing but more questions. I believe I saw somewhere that MJF was the biggest minute-by-minute mover of ratings this past week. So people are certainly intrigued by what he's doing and what he's going to say. Nobody knows anything. Well, and he's been taken off the roster page and his merchandise is taken down. And, you know, I would say maybe he ought to get a good lawyer, but unfortunately they've already killed the lawyer bit on this television program. Call Stephen. Stephen will help him. Well, I I don't even think of Clarence Darrow and Perry Mason could redeem the lawyer's role in wrestling on this television program after they've seen Mark Sterling. That's just my opinion. But we will, but in the meantime, however long we got to go without seeing MJF and now no punk. And we were teased the idea of a six man tag champion team with punk and FTR. That would have been, uh, anyway, Miro's back. Miro, the hero against Johnny elite. And I, I got to be honest now, I think that that might be the right place for Johnny to come in and get a couple of shots, putting some of these guys over because it just didn't, it didn't work out the first time around. Miro did another spooky promo is, did I understand that he's going to repossess heaven and evict God? You know, I'm not sure if he fully has a grasp of English yet, so I'm sure whatever he meant to say was really meaningful, but I don't know exactly what he plans to do or what he's thinking. It's spooky and profound. I'm not sure I follow everything, but again, this nitwit is fucking over in his new improved gimmick. And I am astonished that we got the video game with our little puppy Pip and Penelope and all this other shit. But Miro is he's over the people like him. He looks like something. He beat the shit out of Johnny for a couple minutes. They went to the break, came back, got some more heat. It was a baby face and a heel. Both guys are athletes. Didn't do anything stupid. Solid work. Johnny made a comeback, went to the top and came off and <laughs> Miro rolled in to avoid it, but Johnny was doing some kind of flip that he'd land on his feet first and then do a splash or whatever. So he flipped in the air and landed with both feet on Miro. And then Miro just stopped him and got the camel clutch. Tap out. Boom. Good, solid win. Miro's back. I can take that. I agree with you about Johnny Elite. I don't think there's too much more you could do with him, unfortunately, than use whatever fame he has from wrestling and get other guys over. And it, it pains me to say that, but he just, he didn't, it looked rusty the past two times we've seen him. Anyway, that wasn't a bad match, and it made sense, and it led to something. I'm thinking, well, this show, holy mackerel. Well, here we go. The Jericho appreciators come out, minus Garcia. There's no Garcia. There's only Mac Daddy and... Cool Hand Luke and Jericho and Hager. And what is, what is his Cool Hand fellow, hand job? What is his name? Is it Angelo? Angelo Parker? Is that the one? Angelo Poffo. Okay, Cool Hand Job Angelo Poffo does the appreciate us instead of recognize us, or acknowledge us, rather. And Mac Daddy had a fit, and then... Jericho starts talking. Here comes Kingston and Regal out. And basically Kingston still wants Jericho. And so now Regal says it's going to happen in blood and guts. 
they're going to have another war games match with the, the now Jericho and his jobbers against they beat up Kingston, but Ortiz wants Jericho's hair. Jericho agrees to the blood and guts. If Jericho and Ortiz get a hair versus hair match, cause Jericho's a wizard. Did I basically encapsulate that properly? Yeah, they're giving away a hair versus hair match on TV in two weeks. I feel bad. Wonder who's going to get their head shaved for Ortiz. Yeah, I feel bad for Ortiz because I don't know if you could just shave a weave off. I don't know how that works with Jericho, but everything Jericho does sucks. He loves it. He thinks he's great, but boy, is it garbage. The music, the comedy, the wrestling, everything he does and everything he touches is just pure banality. Complete garbage. I'm not looking forward to any of this. I hope. You know what? That's not a word that gets used very often. Banality. Well, thank you very much. I hope Tony takes advantage of this situation and breaks Danielson away from the Blackpool group and breaks him away from this Jericho stuff. Danielson was the one pinned in the fucking match at the pay per view. <laughs> but no, this Jericho stuff is garbage. And again, they went from the stadium stampede match. Now they're going to the war games. It just makes no sense. And let's also go to the American Heritage Dictionary 3rd Edition. Wait a minute. Bandsaw. Bandit. Band-Aid. <laughs> band. Hold on. I'll get it. Con uh, uh, banal. Completely ordinary and commonplace. Trite. Is it banal or banal? It's pronounced both ways, actually. I've heard people pronounce it both ways. And there's banally or anally, and banality. <laughs> well, regardless of how you, how you deliver it, it's still a... Yeah, the, trademark that. The banal and insipid Chris Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> so, Samoa Joe, another prospective star that they cut off at the knees. Uh, he's in the back it's after the match with Adam Cole. The camera was on him for 10 seconds when suddenly Lethal and Sanjay and Zippy the Pinhead lurched in and fake beat up Joe. This stuff doesn't do anybody any good. Besides the fact that every single backstage promo ends with somebody getting jumped, so it doesn't have any impact or register anymore, they won't even let the guy that's getting jumped speak. It's within the first 10 seconds with the announcer is doing the pitch. So you know that there is no way that the guy that's being jumped could have been distracted enough by anything to not see these motherfuckers running him down right in front of him, running toward him with evil intent. And they stand there. Oh, I see him at the last minute. Why did they wait till attack him to attack him till the camera came on? Wouldn't it have been easier to get by with the thing and not have to go to court if you didn't have video of the crime being perpetrated? They had to stand there and wait for the for the promo to start because it had only been going 10 seconds. They were already there. Too bad Shotzi couldn't have locked him in a locker room. Too bad somebody couldn't have locked some of these son of a bitches somewhere else. So then they had a 10-man tag. With Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, the Hardly Boys, and some seven-foot Samoan guy. I think his name was Hickalulo. Against Darby Allen, Matt Hardy, Christian Cage, Jungle Boy, and Dino Douche. And 
If anybody thinks I watched this thing, you're out of your mind. Why bother? It's the same as always. Good way to save 15 minutes. Most notable thing about this is poor Christian, who outworks everybody, even though he never he never works, had to step in for Jeff because Jeff Hardy apparently has brain damage from the pay-per-view match with the Hardly Boys. That stunning extravaganza. Come to find out, Jeff at the start of the match got knocked out, according to his brother, and doesn't remember having the match. And if you're going to forget a fucking match, that would be a good match to forget. If I'd been in it, I wouldn't want to think about it often from the rest of my life. So now they have given both of the Hardy brothers brain damage in this company. Remember when they knocked Matt off the top of the forklift and his the back of his head hit the goddamn concrete from 15 feet up and he couldn't get to his feet for two or three minutes? They didn't bother to stop the match? Yeah, then he forgot that match. Then he forgot that match. At least once a year, a Hardy's going to forget a match at AEW, it appears. Maybe once a month. Remember when the it was Sammy Guevara, I think it was, threw the chair at Matt, blasted him right in the head, busted him wide open, bleeding from asshole to appetite. And then there was the time that somebody cross-bodied him and landed on his face and smashed his nose flat and bloody. Now Matt's learned to stay away from these fuckers. So Jeff is getting the brunt of the punishment. So Jeff was brain damaged on the pay-per-view and could not remember having the match that he had with the... And as we mentioned, if there's ever been a wrestling match that I would like to forget, it would have been that one. They, so our our best wishes to Jeff to not get in the ring with any more of these fucking lunatics. Uh, Swerve, your boy Swerve. I'm still trying to see him in a regular singles match against somebody that can work so I can evaluate fully, but he did a promo. Did you see this promo that he did? I did. Where he I... introduced a bunch of people? <laughs> yeah. I did see this, yes. Okay, can you tell me who any of those people that he introduced actually fucking are? Not a one of them, no. Not a goddamn one. He stood there and introduced three different people. And you still didn't know who the fuck they were. And I, I, don't even, I didn't even recognize a lot of the words he was using. Was this a bilingual fucking introduction here? I have no idea what was going on here, to be very honest with you. One guy was very happy to be there, though. They all looked pleased. So then we had Tony Schiavone with Athena, who used to be Ember Moon. And she was going to talk, but Jane Cargill and Stokely Bivens, who is taking the place of Mark Sterling, and the baddies interrupted Athena and then Anna Jay came out and they were yelling at her too. And then Chris Flatlander came out and a bunch of people started separating them. And I said, my God, what is it again for the first hour of the program? We got CM Punk. We got the FTR. We got a six man tag. We got MJF and a brilliant promo. We got Miro getting over. Then all of a sudden we ended up with the Jericho appreciators. The Tin Man Cucamonga Kids Jerk Fest, an interview where a bunch of girls just scream at each other. Yeah, we had a <sighs> wrestling show, and then we had the Jericho Camp, 
the Bucks camp, and the women's division. And all three of those things suck. Well, and here, I'm wondering what's going to happen with Wardlow now that he doesn't have MJF to protect him. Because, what, do you, what do you mean protect him? Well, because with MJF involved, everything was good, and the people wanted to see Wardlow kill the fucking guy, right? <laughs> and a shit cow, all Wardlow had to do was just throw people around and try to get to MJF. And MJF was doing the whole thing. He was cutting the promos. He was throwing the people in Wardlow's path. He was keeping the interest going. Now Wardlow comes out by himself. He, they did the long walk in the back of the arena. And if you notice, they need some background music. Because remember, even Goldberg had the boom, 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 the pulse thing. And then the music comes up. You're hearing the where the people, when he was interacting with MJF, the people would see Wardlow on the screen or whatever and blow. Well, now they cheered him, but he's coming out with just the cheers. He's not handcuffed. They don't have to feel sorry for him anymore. He's gotten a job. Now he's fighting a job guy. And it was all Wardlow at J.D. Drake. It was all Wardlow. He's got the personality. The people are with it. Quick work of the guy, and he finished two power bombs. And I'm wondering... The guy was a fat fuck with gray hair. I don't know why they have to find a goddamn job guy that not only looks out of shape, but looks like he's 50 years old. But was he too fat for four power bombs? He needs to do the four power bombs. That was another thing that was getting over. The people were up more with the first and then the second one, then the third one, the fourth one. They're going up crazy with each one. Two now, boom, beats him. It's Wardlow's free. He's not tethered to a heel that's taken advantage of him. He doesn't have now a uh, an antagonist. So now Tony Khan's going to start booking him. This could this could be Goldberg or this could be Tomko. As a, you know, remember Tomko when he was going to yeah. be the biggest babyface in TNA wrestling in 2007 until Shitstain figured out a way to do it even better and killed him and the whole deal. You know what I would have done? Because I think you needed to do something more with Wardlow coming out of the pay-per-view. It couldn't just be a match like this. I would have really capitalized on all this. The TNT title has been a fucking joke. It's been horrible. They're in LA. I'm not to advocate doing a WWE thing and having someone lose in their hometown. I would have right away had Wardlow go over Scorpio Sky win the TV title on show. That would have helped instead of what they did here, because after the one, two, three, Tony Schiavone gets in the ring to interview Wardlow, who doesn't get the chance to speak one word before here comes Mark Sterling, the fake lawyer, with the fake security. And Sterling does a fake promo where he has filed a fake class action suit on behalf of a fake security company that's mad because their fake security guards have been getting beat up by Wardlow. And Wardlow powerbombs one of them. It's Gaga. Keep Wardlow out of the comedy. Keep Wardlow out of interacting with fucking underneath preliminary and middle card talent. They ha they've not learned a goddamn thing. Now they're going to make him silly and the people are going to go, oh, okay, well, 
Yes, it was silly, the idea that he would be an indentured servant to MJF and that he'd have to do all these things, jump through these hoops to get out of his contract, but at least you had a guy like MJF that could verbally carry this thing and make it plausible and and had such charisma, personality, heat-getting ability that he could get people into the thing, and they wanted to see the the big Wardlow break away from his evil you know, captors, blah, blah, blah. But now if you're putting this guy with Mark Sterling's of the world and comedy underneath figures and doing fake shit with him without an MJF there and for, for no real goal, you've just, it's, it's fucking him up. They've got him this far. And like you, boy, it could have smashed him over for the TV title or he could have done something to make some impact in some other way or just give him wins and be done with that until you've got something. But don't give him a win and then put him in phony bullshit. And people just go, ah, fuck. Yeah, Sterling gets a groan for me as soon as he comes out. He's good in his role as being a hokey comedy figure lawyer, but it doesn't belong in this. It belongs in the women's division. I don't actually think there's a place for it in the women's division. I think that (laughs) there's hey Clarence Mason, you know, he didn't, he didn't act like a fake lawyer. He acted like a real lawyer because he was a real lawyer. He acted like a a real crooked lawyer. He may have been a real crooked lawyer. I've never retained his services for a shoot, but point is he was a lawyer. He didn't act like he was sending the whole lawyer profession up in a parody all right so then tony storm and ruby soho wrestled Britt baker and jamie Hayter. remember when ruby soho was going to be the biggest thing in the female division yeah that first night she was over big time yeah remember when tony storm was going to be the biggest thing in the female division oh that first night she was in she was over big time yeah remember when she- <laughs> Everybody, they're over the first night as over as they're going to be when they come from the WWE. And then Tony gets a hold of them. They did have a sign in this match, Corny for AEW HOF now. (laughs) Yes, you're going to go into the Hall of Fame now. Right now. If nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. And You know who the best one in this match was? Who? Jamie Hayter. That's because you like her caboose. That's not, I've never said that and that's not even true. You like the caboose on that train. She's a little pale for my taste, but I'll just say in terms of in the ring, I think she's the most impressive of the four. Well, good. You want to talk about caboose? Kira Hogan was on fucking Rampage. Did we ever find out whether she's related to Hulk or, or whether she's, maybe she was Nick's Nick Hogan's son, or Nick Hogan's sister. What? Hulk's, uh, Nick's, Hulk's son, Nick's sister, Kiera. I don't know about that. I'm just trying to figure out what the relation is. And the main event of AEW Dynamite, John Moxley versus Daniel Garcia. Who does this fucking guy have pictures of? Well, the answer is obviously Tony Khan. And it's 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 a rib at this point. How many matches has Daniel Garcia wrestled on AEW television 
not the dark matches and not the YouTube. I'm talking about real television this year. And I bet you that he has wrestled twice as many times as every single name value attraction that they have. He's on every program. He's everywhere. He's never won anything. So there's no reason to continue to have him on because he's a loser. He's got the charisma of eggplant. He's as spicy as lettuce. He just stands there with that face. But we can't find Starks. We can't find Hobbs. We, we couldn't get FTR for months and months until finally the biggest star in the company had to personally take him under his wing to get him television time because everybody else is so jealous that they can't work like FTR works. But we got to look at Garcia. Did you see any of that match? I did. And uh, you know what? You just said something. It's very interesting. We don't have any kind of numbers like that, but we know this is people who keep track of it. And of course, we have dedicated listeners who could find it. Has anyone in AEW worked as many matches on TV as Daniel Garcia since the moment he got there, which is less than a year ago, I think? No, I, I guarantee if, you know, I'm sure somebody in the three years they've been around has probably logged more matches on television, but just the starting at the first appearance of Garcia and going till now, he has to have wrestled more times on television than any other talent they have. I think you're right. I, you have to be right. He's on every single I show. I double dog dare a member of the cult of Cornette to prove us right on that or wrong. I'll plug it either way. I'll say, okay, we were right or okay, we were wrong. But somebody give me the fucking numbers. And then give me the numbers of the wrestlers that we would like to see. There's a few there. And how many they've had in, in comparison. Jay Lethal. When's the last time Jay Lethal wrestled on television? Has he won one yet? Did he win one match? I know he lost his first three in the company. So that doomed him forevermore. You know, there are actually still, I think Uncle Dave is one, but there are still people out there that will defend the concept of a guy coming into the fucking wrestling promotion, losing his first three or four matches, and then starting to use him as something. When, when, it's a fruitless task. You're done. Well, they just, you know, they can't come in and, you know, compete against this level of talent right off. No. They can come in and beat that level of talent right off. That's how they get over. People are fucking competitive with the goddamn subpar talent that Tony has lined his middle cards with. Then that's what they got. They got more subpar talent. That's what you've made. When a guy comes in and he's competitive with middle card guys, you've just bought you a new middle card guy. When he gets beat by middle card guys, you've just bought you a new underneath guy. And when he beats the middle card guys, you've just bought you an option on a future main event star. If he gets over and you do your job right, it'll work out that way. But a guy that comes in and gets beat by various people his first three or four matches in the company, and then you say, oh, we ought to use this guy, and people will take him seriously. Fuck you, too late, game over. <sighs> so you didn't watch the match? Of course not. It's fucking Moxley. What happened? He, he beat him up. He cheated. The referee watched him do it. He took him out on the floor. He got him back in the ring. He pretended to drink his blood. And then 
beat him and then some shit happened. Was I close enough? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, there you go. We have some breaking news as we wrap well, up the uh, Dynamite review. Let's, let's, let's return it for a full refund as quickly as possible if it's broken. What's going on? I wish I could find... Let me just see real quick if I still have here, uh, and it appears I don't, the Rocky the Ramon Dave Meltzer breaking news audio drop. He's tweeting about you again. What? I guess people have mentioned your name and that gets him going. Uh, he said... Someone said Jim Cornette doesn't understand pro wrestling, and someone replied, that's 100% false. Jim Cornette has forgotten more about wrestling than any of us fans will ever know. I don't agree with that. I don't forget things. Well, Dave retweeted that with a quote. That's true. The sad thing is he forgot what we all grew up learning is the key is driving customers to pay your product. Because people he didn't like succeeded so well in doing so, his hatred forced him to forget what he has always taught was the key aspect of all this. Again, it all comes back to you and the Words and, and Omega. Phrases. It all comes back to he can't take that you won't accept the Bucks and Omega and blow them the way he does. That's what this is all about. What, what, was this comment directed to him or did he just pick up on my name being mentioned again and decide to jump in on it? Apparently it was a part of a chain of things talking about Ring of Honor under Jim Cornette and Delirious. Oh, apparently I'm mentioned too. Hold on. Okay. Okay. There's a whole chain. If Corny and Last understand wrestling, this is someone writing to Dave, understand wrestling so well, why is it Ring of Honor period when he was in charge of booking did nothing to move the needle? Well, Dave thankfully wrote, Last had nothing to do with that. It shouldn't be mentioned there. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Actually, I have a little bit to do with Ring of Honor that period, but Dave may not even know that story. But yeah, I guess he's just having a Saturday morning where he... Oh my God. Well, we, we, we moved the needle from out of business, which is what <laughs> it would have been had, had we not done any of those things to on television... And it's uh, unfortunately not my fault. They just didn't decide to spend any money after that. But uh, we, yeah, we moved the t the needle from non-existence to staying in existence. Uh, but <sighs> the problem again with Davis, he's always talking about. I've never said that people, for whatever reason, some people like whatever it is that the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes do. As I've mentioned, we understand that many people in Germany like to have their balls nailed to a step stool also. Can't account for some people's taste. But that's like, oh, well, McDonald's is absolutely the best tasting cheeseburger in the world because they sell more of them. No. You can say it's good wrestling or you can say it's bad wrestling because it's what you like, but you can't say that it's fucking not an insult to the concept of the wrestling business, what most of these guys do. You can't say that they shoot, that they don't shoot themselves in the foot constantly with the spots and the bumps and the making everything meaningless so that they have to hurt themselves and injure themselves to get any kind of reaction. Because they've they've made it impossible to get a reaction working anymore. So, 
Are they making some money? Sure, because a billionaire started it and he was willing to spend it into reality. Are they good matches? No, they're not, Dave. This fucking monkey-trained-chimpanzee show type of wrestling that you like, that you want to give five and six and seven stars to, is a style that you and your own head and whatever's going on up there, whether it's something that needs medication or whether medication is causing it, you've lost your fucking mind and you can't except that people see through Twinkle Toes and the other rest of the, the gymnasts and the acrobats. It's caca. So I, and he, he won't get off of it. Just admit it, Dave. You like wrestling that nobody from your generation or anybody that we've ever known likes because they're nice to you. And we don't give a shit whether they're nice to us because we don't like them anyway but you have an inordinate need for the boys to validate you now that you've reached 60. 40 years, nobody wanted to hear Dave Meltzer in a wrestling business. And it didn't bother him. And he had fine fucking attitudes and takes on everything. But as soon as he gets to the fucking old age crisis where he wants the kids to like him and laugh about everything, he runs off all of his old friends he destroys his credibility that he spent 40 years trying to build up to cheerlead for these twats. And again, he's, and I, he's repeating the same shit. I'm looking here. This came yesterday. I was busy. I didn't get to see it. Someone tweeted, I guess Dave was making a comment about the show. I don't have the first tweet here. Someone tweeted to Dave, lapsed fan. First live show was 40 years ago. Been backstage and spent time with the brain, Andre, Randy, and Jake. AEW is not wrestling. Tried to watch the last pay-per-view. MJF actually brought me in as he gets it. The rest of the show wasn't wrestling, and Dave replied to that and said, Whatever. I've been told 80s WWF wasn't wrestling. Lucha Libre was not wrestling. Dragon Gate was not wrestling. Stampede was not wrestling. Well, wait, hold on. Memphis hold, hold. Wrestling was not wrestling. I was about to say, whoever said that about Stampede? I don't know. Um, and the, he just mentioned a couple that weren't Dragon Gate and, you know, fucking Lucha Underground or whatever wasn't wrestling. So he went on a little bit more and then someone replied, it kills you that corny and last get wrestling better than you, huh? And then this is, he goes back to this again. If they did, AEW would have died in February 2020. Inherently, <laughs> them being alive and at their hottest point ever from May 29th to <laughs> to June 26, three years in, shows how wrong you are. No matter what you think at first, time and the fans voting by their dollars tell the ultimate truth. He's still harping on the thing that we said, and I never said anything, that we said AEW was going to be out of business in February, and whatever was said wasn't said in February. Actually, I said that I, I, after I saw the fucking legless man in the Battle Royal, I said, if they try to put this shit on TV, they'll be out of business in six months. I don't the legless guy never made TV, but a lot of other shit that shouldn't did. He's lost it. I'm sorry. I, he's lost me. I was defending Dave for a long time. He's lost it completely. He, he can't bring himself to it to now. He's dug himself a hole so deep. Praising Twinkle Toes as the greatest wrestling artist living, and the Hardly Boys, the Cucamonga Kids are a generational tag team. And now people are starting to see through them because they've got actual talent next to them 
and he he has to double down. He can't fucking he can't just come out and say, you know, yeah, they've, they actually haven't aged well. That's all it would be. Haven't aged well. They just do the same shit over and over. That's they're trained chimpanzees. Just anything like that. He has not said a single negative thing about anything in the Chris Jericho run in AEW. So that, that tells you everything you need to know there. Hey, let me ask you this. Do you think it bothers the Bucks that they went home? I mean, Rampage was like right near their hometown, right? They went home and CM Punk was more over there than they were? Uh, well, I, you don't think they expected anything different, do you? If they're in a place with human beings in it, CM Punk is more over than the Young Bucks because CM Punk is more over than the Young Bucks. So did they... It'd be like if I... If I went out in Madison Square Garden at the first WrestleMania standing next to Heenan, he got more booze. I, I, this is a shock to me. What the? F- <sighs> well, this has been the experience. Before we wrap up, I'll just quickly say 605pod.com. Oh, that's all right. I'm tired, too. On Twitter, yeah. at Superpodcast, Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard for fine shows. More information next week. And that was one of the greatest plugs you've ever done. I didn't even have to cover my ears and scream and yell and oh, create shit. mayhem. I mean, hold on. The Mothership! It was the Brev. Yeah, the Brev. Well, we'll be Brev as we can. Brev is the, is the soul of wit. And we're going to be Brev right now and say we're closing up. We're going to be back in a few days with the drive-thru. We'll talk about the WWE pay-per-view that is not worth paying for and whatever else we learn between now and then. Does that got it? I think that has it. And we're going to get you some coffee intravenously. Oh, please. I'm going to, either that or I'm going to find one of those old goddamn enema bags. No, and I'm oh, gonna no, no, no. Get about three, three gallons of coffee. Oh, come on. Pour it in there. Get that hose all greased up and give you a good lubin and, and get you the coffee the right way. That's what I'm going to do. I think I'm just going to get in my car and go to Starbucks if that's okay with you. Well, I guess if you want to <laughs> do it that way, you can. Anyway, otherwise than that, we'll be back. Please, somebody. Find us some good wrestling or something that we'll enjoy. And until next time, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi and I pay no rent. AEW's cool. We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. I choked him at the top of the car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging around in
Says I'm in the key. 